0: day what is it how did it start and let's begin from there
1: what it is is actually pretty easy to to explain it's basically a day to to celebrate vaping and all the benefits it brings to us and it's also not a coincidence that tomorrow um, well no tobacco day is so Uh, Last year we had our first World Vape Day from the World Vapors Alliance and we thought it is time to get the the narrative in another direction. Because most of the times we don't hear enough uh, about all the benefits and the great uh, life changes and the the personal stories which are out there and what's vaping enabled. Uh, And we thought for for one day of the year at least we should um, have a day where we celebrate Ourselves, the whole community, but also the great innovation of vaping.
0: Thank you. Um, so, what is the World Vape Alliance like? The mission? What is their goal? Hello, you
1: have reached breakfast. Yeah, we are we are a consumer organization, and our main goal is to amplify the voice of vapers. So, we want to give them a voice and being being heard as a vapor in policy discussions but also uh, in the general public and in the media uh, that's the goal number 1 goal number 2 is to ensure that we get regulations with um, vapor's interests at heart so unfortunately nowadays that means a lot of fights against bad regulation obviously that is a very important part of our work as well and the third part is to combat misinformation in the media but also in generally so if we think about gateway effect and and uh, flavor bands things like that we try to fight this as, be- as good as possible uh with the support of our community and obviously like you our partners and that's already the part where i need to say a big Thank you, thank you, thank you to you guys as well.
2: In the end, I mean, how hopeful are you with regard to what's going on in the world? Because it seems that each year it gets worse.
1: Yes, I mean, this, this impression we all have, I guess, and especially if we think about the two big milestones which are coming up with COP9 and the TPD review in the European Union, and what we hear from there, it seems very negative, and what uh, the, those kind of regulatory agencies want to do. But on the other hand, uh, we just had a four-hour stream, and when you hear all these great stories what what vaping organizations, consumer organizations, but also the vapors themselves achieve and change, that, that gives me actual hope. I can give you one short example. For example, in the Netherlands, they want to ban the uh, flavors and they put out a consultation uh, because they have to do it if they want to uh, implement a bill like that. And it turned out to be the biggest ever consultation for a health issue with 98% of participants uh, saying they are against the flavor ban. So it, there, 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 there is a possibility that we get active, activate vapors, and I think if we do so, we can still push back on this kind of Crazy regulatory um, proposals, which are around us everywhere.
2: Ah, oh, man, it's it's it, it's it's tough. But you guys are doing a great job, and thank you very much for organizing uh, World Vape Day in this matter. Because I mean, we're very happy to be a part of it.
1: We we are happy for for everybody who joins us, and especially of our very own uh, partner organizations, because everything we do is only possible. Uh, thanks to our partners and also individual members. So thank you for having this. And I'm actually looking forward after my interview to join the stream on YouTube and listen to your program as well. Well, we should
2: hopefully have everything settled down then and uh, and going for the next couple of hours. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks,
1: thank Michael. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you as well. Thank you. Take care and have a fun World Vape Day. Happy World Vape Day to all of you.
2: Happy World Vape Day. Thanks, man. Happy World Day! Bye, take care. All right, so yeah, it's unusual for all the technical problems to have nothing to do with our end here on our side.
0: So, um, yeah, it's just so weird. And I want to apologize to everybody. I did not realize I had the feed playing somewhere in the background of my computer, but. First of all, we have over 50 people chatting on our YouTube feed, which is like absolutely incredible. So I just want to say hi to everybody um, on our YouTube feed. Thank you for joining myself and Brent. Maybe we should do some introductions. Tell everybody who we are in case we have some new people here.
2: Well, there you go. I mean, I'm Brent Stafford and uh, this is, you know, Regulator Watch, our standard usual kind of show that we have, except for Exploded Out for World Vape Day. And uh, and actually, uh, now would be a good time to just talk a little bit about Divine Labs, because they're our title supporter uh, for the event here. And we really want to thank uh, Mike Methrell and the team at uh, Divine Labs. And Divine is, in fact, uh, Canada's largest, uh, what is it, contract packaging facility. So, if you've got an e-juice in Canada, for sure, the chances are that it that it might be an actual divine product like made in partnership with, uh, for their customers, which are the brands. So divine laboratories and check them out at divinelabs.com and we'll actually have Mike on the show a little bit later and I'll certainly uh, do a little bit better job talking about divine too as well. Maria?
0: Hey, I am Maria papayuanu Duick, and I am here today because, you know what, I'm just going to share this, and I shared it earlier, is that last year during World Vaping Day, I was like, so, like, why are we not doing something here in Canada? We have the most passionate group of people who fight for vaping rights and access in around the world. Like, I'm just telling you this, so I... May 31st, 2020, I was like, we got to have a feed, we got to have a feed. And I'm so happy we were able to do this with Rates for Vapors, um, Brent and RegWatch and Mike from Divine and the entire team there who have completely supported and sponsored this entire three hour episode. I just think it's really important to be able to talk about what's happening in North America because it is so different. It's as if they want to just say, yes, science does change when you cross (laughs) the pond. North American people are very different than British people. And you guys, vaping is dangerous for you, but not for the British. So um, we have had a tough year for regulations in this country. We've had a tough year for regulations in the United States. It seems that whatever happens in the United States, it seeps here and then Canada does its thing and makes them even stricter. It's like every province and every state across North America is fighting for the golden ticket of the worst vaping regulations or they're trying to win a prize of how can we recoup our tobacco taxes the quickest. That's kind of from my perspective how I'm seeing things. Events like this are so important to be able to get our message out there that vaping is not smoking. Vaping is safer than smoking. And vaping is a harm reduction product, and it should not be regulated into prohibition.
2: Well said. Very well said. Um, Let's have a quick chat about uh, the show and what we have coming up. And we just had Michael Landel on. David Sweeney. Not all of these are guests. Some of these are specific interviews we've shot pre recorded so we can get away from some of the technical hassles we've had, um, which is great. And so we have uh, Dave Sweeney and Chris Lalonde, Mark Tyndall, Dr. Mark Tyndall. We've got uh, a great reprisal piece on vaping is 95% safer, and that's with Martin Dockrell from Public Health England. We've got Dash Vapes. We have Dave Kraft coming on uh, for a live interview. We've got a great clip from Cliff Douglas, the former vice president of the American Cancer Society, and coming on. And then we've also got Phil Brussardo, uh joining us. And Mike Methroll, of course, as I mentioned, from Divine Labs. Some activists. Uh, we're doing some activist stuff at the end. Daniel David and Sam Tam, Christina Zados, and Adam Ward will be joining us. Um, in our packages so we've got quite a bit of stuff on the on the line here today
0: well you worked your butt off brent to get this out here to everybody so first of all i am in awe of you every single time i think you're an incredible broadcaster you're incredible truth you're an incredible fact sharer.
2: don't stop don't stop don't stop i'm not
0: and the thing is, is that I don't know where we would be in Canada, in North America, if we didn't have a voice, didn't have a platform to share our voices and for you to share more perspectives. You've added such an important thing. And the fact that you're able that we're working together and co-hosting this is like so amazing. So I'm saying, okay, so this will be the first of many times that I'll probably start crying.
2: No, geez. (laughs) Because
0: that's just who I am. But I just think it's incredible. And the show we have up is absolutely incredible. You got Cliff Douglas. To me, that's like my goal list to get him on Between Two Vapes. He just needs to kind of answer my email. So Cliff, (laughs) if you're watching... (laughs)
2: <laughs> well that's great Maria. Look, thank you so much for the kind words. I mean, we work hard obviously to try to bring coverage on this to this on this issue. It's a very important issue. I mean, you know, people say, "Oh, you know, it's life and death." It really is life and death. And not only that, we can't really allow public health who control so much in our lives, and I don't think we need to point out too much about what's been happening over the last, you know, 15 months to clearly show that, and that's outside of vaping. And, you know, it's the same mindset uh, that governs so many so many aspects of our lives, and if they're so willing to do what they're doing uh, with regard to tobacco harm reduction, uh, then, you know, what stops them from doing it in other areas that are just as important with public health? So... Um, it's a big, big issue. So Maria, why don't uh, you do a little bit of social media for us and let people know kind of um, what's going on socially, what they should be hashtagging if they can, and I'll queue up our next piece.
0: Okay, that sounds good. So guys, we have a chat happening in um, the YouTube page. I'll have access to it. You can ask questions. We will get them sent over to us. Also, if you want to hashtag World Vape Day, so W. VD 2021, we will be able to retweet them. You can tag me, Rights for Vapors or regulate RegWatch. We'll make sure that we get those retweeted out there. Things that you like, no problem. Make comments, ask questions down there. Um, Share the link to the YouTube feed so we can watch it, so other people can watch it. And yeah, just like get into that conversation. Share your stories stories matter like nothing is more impactful than truth and over the lot, la- especially over these last like six weeks we've seen on twitter um politicians leaders of organ groups like you know lung association cancer um heart heart and stroke make really disparaging comments and like misleading information however you have you have people on Twitter calling them out, correcting them. I shouldn't say calling them out. That kind of sounds rude, but correcting them. So social media, especially Twitter is taking on such a good role. Also, Rights for Vapors is live tweeting this entire um, three hours. So you can follow there at Rights number four Vapors um, on Twitter. So are we Are we ready for our next clip?
2: We are definitely ready for our next clip. And so what we have here is a fantastic interview we've shot exclusively for World Vape Day with David Sweeney and Christopher Lalonde. And for those that do not know, David is adjunct professor, faculty of law, University of Ottawa, and a renowned tobacco control expert. And Dr. Lalonde is a professor of psychology at the University of Victoria. He's an expert in research methodology And a very sharp critic, I would say, a very incisive critic of what's been going on. So let's let's sit back. This one is a good piece. It's a good uh, 25 minutes or so. So enjoy the interview.
3: Great to be on the show, Brent.
2: Thanks for having us. So our viewers uh, may know who you are, and some. Hopefully, we have some new viewers from around the world watching too as well. David, first, why don't you give some background, a little bit more background on who you are and your experience uh, with vaping and tobacco harm reduction?
3: Sure. Well, I'm I'm a lawyer. I have worked. uh, I was the first lawyer in the world to work full time on policy measures to reduce cigarette smoking, um, starting beginning the uh, the 80s. Uh, I've played a a big role in a lot of the legislative measures to reduce cigarette smoking and part of that all the way along has been an interest in what do you do to reduce the risk uh, for people who are going to continue to use nicotine I mean it's simply a rational approach we had provisions like that in Canadian law in the late uh, 1980s that I helped write Uh, we lost those due to a challenge by cigarette companies Uh, I've stayed involved in that I mean it's just simply You know, in all the work that I've done globally on tobacco control for a very, very long time, if it's going to be about public health, you know, not about religion, not about saving souls, telling people how to run their lives. If it's about public health, you have to accept that there's a huge continuum of risk for the products. And we should be doing everything that we can to empower people to make better decisions about their own health, to reduce their risk dramatically. And so my interest has been on things like Snus, uh, Moist Snuff, pharmaceutical nicotine, a whole range of lower risk products. And as vaping came along and some of the newer technologies, I mean, that, that has been so important as something that can replace cigarettes. And we're talking about something that globally is gonna be killing in excess of 7 million people this year because they're inhaling smoke into their lungs. Nicotine's not the problem. Uh, so this is actually a simple problem to, to solve. And you can imagine how frustrating it's been with, for me for you know, a career trying to get people to say, you know, it's the smoke, stupid. You know, We deal with the smoke, we solve this problem. Why do you keep attacking the alternatives to cigarettes, uh, protecting cigarettes, rather than working pragmatically to do the things we should be doing in public health to help people reduce the risks?
2: Now, Chris, you are in charge of educating young minds. Do tell. Yeah. Um,
4: For better or worse, I'm a professor of psychology. Uh, My training is in developmental psychology, mostly child development. And my work has been about particularly youth health and well-being and identity formation. And of late, I have become very interested in how so we as parents and teachers and politicians as a society we create the world in which young people develop right we set the boundaries we create the context and the environment Um, and so when we make policy changes we need to be more mindful than I think we have been about what are the implications for young people right how could this possibly have a detrimental effect on young people's well-being and I think in the kind of debates around tobacco harm reduction, that's just true in spades. If you could think of ways to do this badly or more poorly, I can't because they've been exhausted more in the U.S. than in Canada. But we're we're catching up, right? Um, so I, I think just thinking about the implications of policy for youth health and well-being is kind of my more narrow focus. Um, but I think I, I just think it's important. Right. I, I deal with it all the time with university students. So so that's my story.
2: And you've also uh, got an expertise um, with the science, too, especially in terms of understanding uh, experiment structure and so forth. Fill us in.
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, as a psychologist trained to be a psychologist, you spend an awful lot of time with statistics and experimental design and um, when I first started looking into the tobacco control research, I was stunned at the incompetence. I, I just kept reading papers and saying, how did they ever get this published? Who who are the peers who reviewed this? Who are the journal editors that published it? Who are the granting agencies that gave them a big bag of money to do this really terrible, terrible research? And I, I guess I would have hoped that in the last 10 years, it, it would have improved, but it just simply hasn't. There's just a kind of mechanism for grinding out this stuff that seems inexhaustible. Um, so, you know, you I could take some of these papers and get my undergraduate students to read them. And all you have to say is find the fatal flaw here and they will, right? You don't have to be an epidemiologist to to understand this stuff, there's just, really, really bad science out there. And that would be fine if you're just wasting people's time reading journals, but um, governments are taking action on this. Granting agencies are giving out huge amounts of money to perpetuate this. And that just seems frankly wrong to me.
2: David, from a kind of global level, because you've been at that perch, who is tobacco control um, and why are they going so awry?
3: Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big tent uh, and there, there are real uh, debates, you know, within the, the field. Um, you know, the idea of control when we're dealing with, uh, with anything that's causing disease is about limiting the, the harm. Uh, you know, we talk about mosquito control. Uh, that's different from eradication, where you say we're just going to eliminate something. And what we've got is a whole lot of people look at this as something that needs to be eradicated, like we're just going to end nicotine. Uh, and it's it's the field attracted a lot of people, and I've I've talked about this in, in various places that people who are essentially dragon uh, slayers, you know, they they thought they think they're fighting evil. It's not about the people who are using nicotine. They think that they're out to destroy sin, to attack a devil. Uh, Any tactic is acceptable when you're doing something like that. They totally lose sight of of what's going on around them. But this isn't all of tobacco control. There's, There's a lot of very sensible people who are paying attention to the science. And we often cite the UK as a good example of this. But we also see that I mean, ironically, the countries where the tobacco control establishment is really weak are the countries that seem to be doing the best job of reducing cigarette smoking. Japan being the classic example where cigarette smoking has plummeted in recent years at a rate unprecedented in any major market. And one of the defining characteristics of Japan is that the anti-tobacco movement isn't very strong. So you're actually able to move forward with reduced risk products that people can move to. When we look at places like the United States, where the abstinence-only, the moralistic part of tobacco control is very much uh, in ascendance, uh, we've seen where cigarette smoking was falling far more rapidly because of people moving to vaping, they managed to reverse that. You know, they came up with policies that actually moved people back to smoking. And, you know, we see this elsewhere, and I think it's, it's best understood as I mean, we run into this on, on many other issues as well. People who feel that they're fighting sin, you know, rather than having a pragmatic approach to what they're doing. So if you take this absolutist view that, that someone is a sinner, you say you have to repent. Like you have to feel really bad about what you're doing. And, and then you have to do penance. Like you have to really struggle uh, in, in order to overcome this terrible sin that, that you've been engaged in. And if you don't, you face perdition. You know, you go to hell or you get lung cancer or whatever. Uh, and it's it's that moralistic part that's really infected this, this whole community uh, and has been horribly counterproductive. That's where we see the stigma coming. The You know, how do we make people feel like crap? How do we coerce them? How do we force them to change? And that is completely opposite to what you do in a good practice of public health where we talk about meeting people where they are, understanding their lived experience, uh, seeking their guidance in terms of what they want, uh, empowering them to make better decisions about their own health. I mean all that seems to be forgotten with this very authoritarian quasi-religious view of uh, of many of the people who got into the field. And and sadly, there there were an awful lot of very good people who were doing things to reduce cigarette smoking. They were very marketable, moving into other areas, doing other things. And I think a a lot of people who got into this as a moralistic thing um, just stayed because it isn't like they had a lot of other options in their careers.
2: Chris, Dave just mentioned uh, the US, you did as well. What's your assessment in terms of the things that have happened down there leaking into Canada and the rest of the world?
4: Uh, Well, I want to go back just to what uh, David mentioned at the beginning, and you talked about eradicating nicotine. And I think what's changed in the last 10 years, 10 years ago, it was eradicating smoking, right? Mm. And then vaping came along, and now suddenly nicotine is the evil agent that must be eradicated. And I think that really changes the climate in Mm. terms of tobacco harm reduction, and it changes it for the worse. Um, So what I said about what's happening in the US is leaking into Canada, there are several facets to that. One is the moral panic, right? The epidemic of youth vaping in the US is now being replicated in Canada and something must be done. Oh, look, here's something. Let's ban flavors. Let's tax vapes. So, and this is what I was saying at the beginning, if you could think of a, a worse way to do this, I can't, right? So thing one is reduce the attractiveness, appeal, and accessibility of vaping and other products for adult smokers. Everything that you do to do that will keep people smoking. It will do nothing to eradicate the teen epidemic of vaping or smoking or anything else. So taxes, um, bans, they just, they, they, they don't work. counterintuitive. And you could predict that from every other prohibitionist activity we've ever engaged in. Um, But it appears, oddly, that Canada is leaning back toward that US prohibitionist view in a way that they weren't even three or four years ago, right? They maybe had some problems, how Canada did, but um, it looked like maybe if they were serious about striking a balance, maybe they could do it. So they had plans for Um, marketing, what you could say as a vape shop owner to smokers who come in off the street and express interest, right? That's never really happened. Um, And now, you know, in in British Columbia, we have this 20% tax on vaping stuff. And first of all, that's just going to keep people smoking. The the less, the more you make the price the same, they're going to keep smoking. Um, The other is, I keep waiting for, well, where did that does that 20% tax go? Does it go to smoking reduction, teen education, anything that might be of value in terms of tobacco? No, it goes into general revenue. Um, so imagining that magically raising a tax is going to solve the problem um, is just wrongheaded.
2: And David, the uh, federal government in Canada, and actually down in the U.S., Congress appears to be moving in a similar direction in terms of a national excise tax on vaping products. Yeah. What do you make of that?
3: It, in uh, in two words, it's crazy. Uh, we're dealing with substitutable goods. And we have a long history of seeing how you can move people from a more hazardous to a less hazardous product or service and tax plays a huge role by shaping price so if you look at what many countries did in moving people from leaded to unleaded gasoline change the taxes so the unleaded gasoline is actually cheaper at the pump and people move i what i played a huge role in in what we did in using cigarette taxes as a way to reduce uh, consumption and it was a blunt tool but it was the most effective one we we had in those days what we lacked were really good alternatives. So in economists speak, we're dealing with elasticity, the the different how price affects demand. What we didn't have working for us was cross elasticity where you put up the price of one thing, but you keep the price of an alternative lower. So, So that if I'm wanting to get you to buy oranges instead of apples, I want the oranges to cost way less than apples. And you can look at them, you decide, you move your preference from one to the other. And we were seeing this with vaping products that not only were they massively less hazardous, but the sorts of things one could buy in a vape shop were also way less expensive than buying cigarettes. So that was a real win. A lot of price conscious people were moving to vaping and, and health was only one of the considerations for some of them it was all about price. So here we are taking what could be the most powerful tool that we could have in moving people away from a product that's killing tens of thousands of Canadians and millions of people globally every year because of a toxic delivery system. It's the smoke, stupid. We could move them to alternative products by giving them accurate information and having differential prices. And it's actually something that Ken Warner, Frank Shaluka, and I wrote about in the New England Journal of Medicine five or six years ago. I mean, this is a real simple thing, have differential pricing to encourage people to move to the lower risk products. And what we end up with are people who claim they're anti-smoking, but they're doing things to protect the cigarette market because we already have the research saying, if you put up the taxes on vaping, you end up with more smoking. You know, and that's that's no surprise uh, that because these are interchangeable goods. So, so again, this is this eradication, moral, we're attacking sin, all sin is equally bad. Uh, and if we end up doing something that causes people to do something that's far worse, far more likely to kill them, well, that's not our fault. You know, we're we're fighting the good fight against uh, against evil. It's I mean, I, I just it's ab-
2: abhorrent. It is abhorrent, and and it runs counter to. I don't want to use the term common sense. I actually, I think it just runs counter to what we know, established in the way people behave and act. I mean. If tobacco control doesn't understand that taxing either direction doesn't work, what the hell are they doing applying taxes to any product at all? I mean, clearly for me, and I mean, absolutely 100% after 22 years of smoking, it was the taxes that beat me down. I mean, I was a a two-pack-a-day smoker. It was 2015. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing I'm spending $9,000 a year, you know, post-tax dollars. And it was the dollars that got me to quit. And then now I see all of the prices of vaping products here, at least in my home province in British Columbia, and it's gonna be the same everywhere else. The taxes get implemented on this, pushing it back up towards smoking level. It's no. almost enough for me to pick up a pack.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's the, the absurdity of it is, is it's just extraordinary because we have had these movements on other things. When you look at alcohol prohibition, the war on drugs, uh, the war on sex outside of marriage, You know, the, the war on uh, women using any sort of birth control. I mean, we've had these moralistic campaigns all about the, the sort of stuff uh, Lisa McGurr writes about in her wonderful book, The War on Alcohol. How do you use the power of the state to impose your moral views on the behavior of others? And the thing is, it keeps coming up. We see it again and again. It is invariably a disaster, and people keep trying to do it. At the same time, we have this very long history of the sort of stuff that uh, Steven Pinker writes about in Enlightenment Now of how if we use reason, if we use science, if we're humane, you know, the principles of the Enlightenment, we accomplish amazing things. So look how much less hazardous workplaces are and automobiles and and aircraft and food products and pharmaceutical products and buildings. I mean, we have just massively reduced risk for so many things. And yet when we come to the most risky consumer product, you know, we've ever had, it's been given a pass because to a large extent of the people who claim they're the ones trying to end it, but they're doing abstinence only, very similar indeed to people in the 1800s who were opposed to any form of manufactured foodstuffs. And as a result, they held back uh, sanitary standards because they just morally, they didn't want people to be able to buy food like that. They should live out in the countryside, breathe clean air, grow their own food, go to church on Sunday. And if you could buy manufactured food, they might move into the city. And all sorts of terrible things, immoral things happen in cities. We need to prevent that. So for heaven's sakes, we don't want safer food because that would encourage people to do that. And we've run into the same sort of nonsense now of, of those who are ignoring the science. They're ignoring the rights of consumers. They're ignoring basic public health principles. And a classic uh, hallmark of people who see things in a moralistic way. They refuse to discuss it. So if you say, let's sit down and talk about this. You, know, you have a, a certain view here that is at odds with what I think. How about we you know, get together and have a chat? Uh, and in any sort of scientific discipline, in, in any true public health profession, you do that sort of thing. You're trying to learn. You're trying to do a better job. And one of the really distressing parts of this field, and it's say I've been in it for, for so many years, uh, is that a lot of people I've known for decades absolutely refuse to talk about their views. They will not. So you feel like you're talking to somebody who's got you know, bought into some weird conspiracy theory or uh, uh, a, a crazy religious idea. They're a member of a cult. They can't afford to let anybody try to crack that that world view that they've managed to develop. And that's a sure sign they're wrong. I mean, you know, that's the hallmark <laughs> of a closed mind, where somebody says, "You know, I'm not willing to discuss it, and I, I will think... attack you if you try to make me discuss
2: it." For Sure, and I th- and I think it's. Uh... It's a problem for me because uh, there's a lot of control in tobacco control. The ability of public health to actually get in, as we've certainly seen uh, with the pandemic, to get in, make decisions, lock you down, do all these different things. And they've been exercising similar kinds of control around tobacco now for some time. Chris, I want to I get back to the young people here for a second, because that is fundamentally, it seems like if you look around globally, even it's still, it's the e-Valley scare, so the so-called vaping-related lung illness and the teen epidemic, in, in air quotes. What do you think about that? And let's use Canada as an example, because here Health Canada is using 2018 and 2019 data on youth use during that spike of when, you know, Juul hit the market and the epidemic with Juul had really kicked off in the U.S., and and that's what they're using to justify these draconian potentially disastrous measures here in Canada i mean are they is it fair to be using you know numbers that are now multiple years old
4: there's no fair here mm-hmm. it just fits their narrative right it fits their narrative <laughs> youth rates are skyrocketing something must be done Let's put some taxes in. Here is something. Let's do this thing. So I also just want to go back to what David was talking about, that when you wrote that paper five years ago or more, your ideas about the effects of taxation were theoretical, hypothetical. Well, now we have really good data out of the states from Minnesota and Massachusetts that shows that's exactly what happened, right? Smoking rates stay up. Youth smoke cigarettes rather than vape. And so if you're unwilling to learn from the clear evidence that's in front of you, then you are bound to make mistakes. If you are making federal policy regarding youth or adult behavior about anything, and you're using old, inaccurate data that happens to fit a particular kind of prohibitionist narrative, then you're at best doing a disservice to the citizens
2: of the country. Let me toss this out to both of you. Um, We're looking at the time here. We've still got a few minutes left. I'd like to talk about Bloomberg's, whichever one of you wants to first, you know, grab that uh, that ball and run with it. He's had a tremendously uh, negative influence uh, on this debate, I'd say, globally. And that is definitely my opinion on that. Who would like to take up Bloomberg?
3: No, I, I can just try to deal with it. Um, Michael Bloomberg's a prohibitionist, uh, or certainly his policies are prohibitionist. And he says prohibitionist things. He wants to ban these products. Uh, and he's got a tremendous amount of money that goes into this. Uh, and then tying into what we were saying earlier, um, there was a fantastic article written in the Chronicle of Philanthropy just a few weeks ago that took Bloomberg to task. Uh, it quoted me and, uh, and a whole lot of other people in that, uh, including people who have run some of the major health foundations in the United States, talking about just how counterproductive this has been. Uh, and challenging tobacco-free kids and the truth initiative and uh, Bloomberg's organization on the the counterproductive nature of what they are doing and they're doing it globally that the got a response from from Matt Myers the tobacco-free kids and uh the people from uh, from tooth and the the Bloomberg staffers that was just nonsensical I mean what they yeah. wrote was nonsensical Clive Bates then put together, and I recommend anybody look at CliveBates.com, his, his blog, and maybe you can give a, a link to the. He completely demolished the arguments that they had made in response to this Chronicle of Philanthropy article. And in a rational world, you know, if we were following the principles of logic in the Enlightenment, there's now a case there that Matt Myers has to answer. And, you know, having known Matt for decades, I've written to him and said, you really need to answer this. You can't just ignore it. I mean, here, here's the case. You know, what are you going to do about it? You know, and he, he absolutely refuses to engage. And, you know, to, to me, that's just saying guilty as charged. But, you know, I think it's important that people put pressure on these people that if somebody does a real critique of what you're doing, to show that it's counterproductive and it's really well documented, that isn't the sort of thing you ignore if you're at all scientific, if you're at all professional. That's the sort of thing you ignore when you're a religious fanatic, uh, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you know, if, if you're out in some rabbit hole somewhere, and that's how they're acting. You know, it's it's almost like the, the conspiracy theorists have taken over leading positions in, in tobacco control, and they've got a whole lot of, of money from Bloomberg to do tremendous damage. And so, I uh, I mean, and, and I, I'm i concerned that they, the, the show could be like a, a real downer. Uh, and I just want to say, what's amazing is that with all this aligned against vaping, vaping's still doing very well in a lot of places. Risk reduction products are doing phenomenally well. In a tremendous number of countries globally, and we are seeing entrepreneurs and consumers, uh, and uh, scientists, uh, technology experts, who are finding ways to do end runs around all these crazy rules. You know, the latest being in the U.S. was saying, you know, you've deemed vaping to be a tobacco product because the nicotine comes from from tobacco leaf. We have now found ways to make synthetic nicotine doesn't require tobacco leaf. We're not caught by FDA anymore, and. So I, I would also say that despite all the Bloomberg stuff, despite all the abstinence-only people, despite governments that are into moral panics, there's a long history of, of science and rights and, and entrepreneurs winning on, on these sorts of issues. Uh, it's frustrating how long it takes, but, but ultimately that tends to happen. And, uh, and I think that's worth mentioning.
2: And Chris, last word. Uh, Well, I I couldn't
4: agree more with what David said about Bloomberg. I think the other interesting and maybe hopeful note is that in the past, Bloomberg has used his billions globally in ways that are especially dark and troublesome. And now in some places in the world, not the US, but in the Philippines and other places, um, activists are starting to, to fight back, right? They're starting to mount legal challenges to what they're doing in those countries and how they're Moving money around in in various ways. So, I think that synthetic nicotine and the kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and also I think the kind of fighting spirit of vapors who look, I quit smoking. You may not like how I quit smoking, but I quit smoking and I'm not going back and I'm not letting you take this away from me. Um, I think we can take at the moment what appears
2: like a little bit of comfort from that. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and happy World Vape Day. Thanks Thanks very much, Brent. Happy World Vape Day. Are you muted?
0: Why, yes, I'm (laughs) muted. It wouldn't be the a call if I didn't, no one asked if I was muted.
2: So what did you think? I mean, so, you know, I said that, you know, Dr. Lalonde, you know, is incisive with his comments and he just snuck that one in there at the end when he's talking about Bloomberg using his power and influence for dark and troublesome reasons.
0: Um, first of all, I have, I, I have the pleasure and I guess the honor of being able to call those two gentlemen mentors and teachers and friends. So, it, it, and I always learn something, absolutely always learn something. David, with his analogies, his comparisons, and um, Chris, Dr. Lalonde, He's just so witty and if you follow him on Twitter you will see his t-shirts that he makes and they're absolutely hilarious. I have no idea but somehow we got to get this guy a website so he can put mass produce his t-shirts and start selling them. Maybe he'll make some of his Bloomberg money and put it towards this cause. But I was watching all that and this is like one quote I kept I kept trying to think who said I'm smoking for the nicotine and dying from the tar. And that was in 1976. Let, like, let's, let's talk about this man. It's Professor Michael Russell. And he was a professor of um, tobacco. He was in tobacco control and he made the quote, people smoke for nicotine, but they die for the tar. Think about that. And now, oh my God, 76. Oh my god almost 50 years like 45 years later we are fighting and the same people that were celebrating michael for this insightful comment which is harm reduction are taking away and fighting tooth and nail and using every last dollar and all of bloomberg's dollars to take away What Michael Russell, Professor Michael Russell was aiming for, a clean delivery system of nicotine that would help people feed, get their nicotine. And it's so like, I've personally seen the switch. Now all of a sudden nicotine's bad, but they can't prove how nicotine's bad, but they don't have to prove how nicotine's bad because they can say whatever they want. And we'll talk about the Canadian Lung Association a little later on. So don't forget about that um, because the Canadian Lung Association is specifically New Brunswick Lung Association. And I'm sorry what's happening out in New Brunswick. They're having a fight for flavors, but they decided to misrepresent and just make stuff up. So... (laughs)
2: Yeah, that we, there's a lot of that making stuff up. Uh, the S-word the S stuff is the polite way to put it. You bring up uh, Dr. Russell. Yeah, I think it's important to point out, too, is that the Global Forum on Nicotine, which is the 8th annual, is coming up on June 17th and 18th, which is normally uh, at, you know, I think, in Prague. Uh, no, in Poland. But it's going to be in Liverpool, England uh, this coming in June. And I highly recommend uh, going online cause you can participate on it. And, and Michael Russell is like the, you know, the foundation of the global forum on nicotine. So they do the Michael Russell oration. And I mean, they pay a lot of tribute to, to uh, Dr. Russell. We've got a minute and a half here. And we're gonna lead into um, our interview, your interview with uh, Dr. Mark Tyndall. He's yeah. I mean, you got anything you want to say in preface to that?
0: First of all, this is a sneak peek, the episode of Between Two Vapes um, with Dr. Tyndall. He's our last guest. So he would be in two Thursdays. So not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Um, What's really incredible about Dr. Tyndall is that he is a true 100% harm reduction activist. He fights for all harm reduction. Um, He got into and understanding tobacco harm reduction from his work he did um, with addiction and the gay, and sorry, um, the gay community when he was out in Ottawa, where he noticed that a lot of the people he fought with didn't die from HIV, didn't die from their addiction to narcotics, but they ended up dying from tobacco related illnesses. And he's just, he's such, he's, I how do I say this? He's just like, this brilliant man hidden in like an average, you would just like, you know, an average Joe, and you wouldn't realize the brilliance that comes out of this man's mouth. Like it's absolutely incredible. So I guess we can just go straight down. And
2: that we can, we are queued up and ready to go. So here is uh, Maria's interview teaser with Dr. Mark Tyndall.
0: We are back for another interview in this piece you'll be given a sneak peek at our interview with Dr. Mark Tyndall, which won't be released on Between Two Vapes till June 10th. For those of you who don't know who Dr. Tyndall is, well, he's a doctor from BC and he spent most of his career advocating for harm reduction without judgment. So without further ado, may I present Dr. Tyndall
5: so much harm is being done by to, by cigarettes and uh and and so few options are actually available to people and this idea that uh you know oh wow well, people can just use patches or gums or lozenges or what? like it's it, it just the only thing we know about those programs is they don't work very well and uh so to say that you know that that's people's only option when we have something like vaping to me I, is uh is just irrational and unethical. So uh, we need to offer people uh, a safer alternative. We stigmatize people who smoke. I mean, um, I have a lot of colleagues over the years who uh, I have worked with in harm reduction who are full on supportive of all the things we're doing to prevent HIV and to prevent overdoses. And uh, I even have colleagues who are uh, now on side that we should be giving people a uh, a regulated supply of, uh, these drugs. So that's what I'm kind of promoting now. And yet when I bring up vaping, it's just the doors closed. Like, and I think, um, because there's so much stigma involved in it, that, uh, that people who smoke cigarettes, um, are just really, uh, yeah, left up to their own devices. Like you can't, you know, just stop smoking. That's an obvious thing to tell people. And, uh, if you need a little help, here's a patch, but, um, there's very little, you know, very little empathy towards people who have difficulty stopping smoke. Like basically, if you can't do it, then, uh, then you're weak and you just have to try harder. For many of my colleagues who are, uh, as I say, um, supporters of harm reduction in general, uh, are not able to make the leap into, uh, into vaping as a harm reduction uh, um, intervention here's a delivery system for nicotine, um, but you can decide how you want to use it. And uh, you can decide, you know, at least till now, what how much nicotine you want to start with. And then you can decide you'd like to uh, uh, decrease that over time if you'd like. You can um, just have some sort of control over how you're uh, eliminating cigarettes. And I think that autonomy is hugely important to uh, the success of of uh, of that intervention and uh, the success of all harm reduction, I think, really gives people some sort of control over uh, how they're going to do this. The stories I hear about vaping, um, you know, there's a whole range of ways people use them, but a lot of people start off because they want to stop using cigarettes. they in, they introduce vaping and uh, they dual use for a while and then they're able to eliminate cigarettes and then they can start working on the nicotine content and they have, you know, they can have some control over this. There's really nothing in vaping that is uh, is more compelling to them than protecting their youth, right? That is a political winner, right? Nobody from any political stripes can't Uh, can go against protecting our children. And that's really where a lot of this is uh, emanated from, you know, what's happening to our youth and vaping. And um, we it's really hard to turn back, you know, when you come up with real data, you know, how many kids are actually using them uh, on a regular basis, very few how many vape kids vaping haven't smoked before, very few. I mean, so we've created this, you know, and moral panic among youth vaping that it's now very difficult to turn back. I think if you ask them, what would you, how many people would you sacrifice to a uh, uh, cigarette related death to prevent one person, one teenager from ever vaping? And I, I don't know, a thousand, 2000, <laughs> like, I, you know, it, it comes down to that, you know, that like you're really neglecting 5 million Canadian smokers who could really benefit from this, for the chance that some teenager somewhere could get a hold of these things and turn to cigarettes. So why talk to the 5 million smokers when uh, I can talk to some teenager who's tried a jewel before and um, and they say it's, it's really bad. In the media, that speaks way louder than... Uh, Having somebody with lung cancer on TV saying, you know, I smoked for thirty years, um, that person is actually demonized. Like, why the hell did you smoke for thirty years? What, you know, you you got what you deserved. You saw it coming. You should have stopped. And and that's kind of the the stigma and discrimination that's uh, that's on us with uh, with smoking. It occurs to me that um, over the last few years, vaping's been even more highly stigmatized than smoking. Like, uh, I think people you know, when I see somebody vaping outside or on the street, I, you know, often just say good, it's good for you. Like, you're (laughs) glad to see you're doing that, you know, but I think people are more embarrassed of, uh, walking around with an e-cigarette than they are with a lighted cigarette. Like it's more probably just as much stigma involved in that now. And, uh, it's so unnecessary and the media is highly responsible for that, like how that ever happened, how we don't look at people who, uh, you know, it'd be like telling, you know, seeing somebody in a car not wearing a seatbelt and uh, and saying like, good, good for you, I'm glad you're not wearing a seatbelt. It's kind of what cigarettes are like, <laughs> Like of course you'd say you're oh that's good for you like so vaping should be looked at as you know people are actually doing something proactively to reduce their risk of harm from uh, from cigarettes and so we should be applauding those people but somehow um, I don't think people who are seen smoking um, are any less any more uh, stigmatizing somebody who is uh, seen outside vaping I mean it's like the same crazy thing that people look at you going. I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> you know, it clearly nothing to do with the science, clearly nothing to do with any kind of uh, information that we have um, that would indicate that vaping is anywhere near as uh, dangerous as cigarettes. And uh, somehow it that's crept into the North American view of vape. And uh, it's it's sinister. It crept not only into kind of the general public, but also public health um. Officials and uh, the government certainly they all they all view it very much the same and um, yeah i 'm still uh, very much on the uh, outside looking in to uh, find to try and figure out where they 're getting all their information from you know for all the pushback that uh, you 'll get from doctors about vaping they, they really have very little else to uh, to offer, and uh, most people have you know failed their programs, or i'd rather put it most people um, have seen a failed program that they've been offered. <laughs> they're not the failures, the program's the failure because it hasn't adapted and hasn't really uh, offered very much. And somehow they're happy with, uh, you know, uh, um, a stop smoking rate of 10% or something like that. And uh, I challenge them to do a proper study and they'd be 10% of people would stop on their own without their program. So it's basically, you know, their added value is, uh, is quite questionable you know, the way the Canadian government has gone, it's really, um, obviously disappointing. I mean, at the beginning it was seemed to be reasonable. I mean, they, you know, there's regulations in place, but they, on the website, you know, that, uh, vaping is safer than smoking. And, uh, you know, they didn't appear to be going out of their way to, uh, disadvantage vaping over cigarettes, but uh, now all of a sudden they've, uh, They've turned the corner, and uh, if they figure politically it's better just to try and squash the whole thing. I actually do not think that uh, vaping is going to be squashed. I, I just don't I, I think the evidence and the utility of this technology is just so overwhelmingly in its favor that no matter how regulated it becomes, it's going to be really hard.
2: It's going to be really hard, really hard to kill the technology, Maria.
0: Oh, my God. Yes, it is going to be really hard to kill the technology. However, if we continue down this road, we're not going to be able to make the technology better. Mm. And we've seen that the more regulations we get, the less innovation we see. And that's where the scary part is. And if we think about when vaping was created back in 2003 and where we are today in 2021. So just a little side note, if anyone tells you that vaping hasn't been around for a long time, 2003, what's that? 18 years? 18 years. We have 18 years of anecdotal evidence. When will this anecdotal evidence be true? So I think Dr. Mark had a lot of great things to say there. Um, hopefully you guys can watch the full episode on Between Two Vapes coming up, not this week, but next Thursday. And yeah, so i glad we were able to get him on.
2: We're all really good stuff, Maria. And before we head to our next clip, I just want to take a moment again to say big thanks to Mike Methrell and the team at Divine Laboratories for title supporting our World Vape Day coverage. They really made it happen for us and uh big 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 time. Divine Labs is Canada's largest e-liquid contract packaging facility located in Lindsay, Ontario. Divine Labs is a 35,000 square foot purpose-built manufacturing facility that allows divine customers to take their ideas from concept to shelf-ready in weeks. Beyond e-liquid, Divine Labs product lines also include food flavoring, sanita- sanitization and cleaning products all produced under strict ISO standards. So do check them out at divinelabs.com. And Mike's great. we got him on the show a little bit later.
0: Yeah, I mean, can I give a little hint to what he'll be talking about?
6: Sure.
2: Well,
0: he's going to, I'm for sure to say, talk about what the heck is a tobacco flavor?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a sticky topic too, I I can tell you. Um, Before we obviously get to Mike, uh, we're going to, Take a moment to take a step back uh, to listen to a short snippet of a feature interview that we did with Martin Dockrell, who's the Tobacco uh, Control Program Lead at Public Health England. And all this discussion and everybody has always heard this "95% safer." Well, where does that come from? Well, we've actually gone to the source uh, to get a, a find to find out where it came from. Of course again this is a about a 6 minute snippet of a feature interview we did which you'll be able to find at regulatorwatch.com just you know search for Public Health England and Martin Dockrell and uh, let's uh, take a listen Describe for us the UK approach to e-cigarettes and how and why it's in such stark contrast with other countries like
7: Canada and the US. Right from the outset, uh, we wanted to maximize the uh, opportunities uh, that e-cigarettes present while we manage the risks. So we were never under any illusion that there are risks, that, and certainly there were uh, risks that were very much uh, unknown five years ago. Um, but equally, we knew the huge scale of the uh, the opportunity. We have six million smokers in the UK, uh, in England rather, six million smokers in England alone, um, and that's two hundred and twenty uh, deaths every day from smoking-related disease. That's a plane crash every day. So that's the scale of the opportunity. You know, stopping those planes from crashing. Martin, I'm going to describe
2: for you just a little bit about the impression that vapors have and our audience has of Public Health England and what you all are doing there. You are like manna from heaven. Unbelievable. It's like, wow, there's a whole country that actually believes that vaping is not only could be a good thing, but is a good thing and actively promotes it to its citizens. Describe that for us. You know, communicate back For us how that approach is what's the embrace
7: if you're a a smoker and you've not stopped smoking try vaping if you're a vapor stop smoking okay and that's a really important message so we don't advocate dual use we advocate smoking cessation stop smoking any way you can and if that's um, with nicotine replacement therapy great go for it if that's cold turkey which is how I gave up not once, but a dozen times, then okay. There are more effective ways to do it, but if that's where you're gonna do, it, then okay. You'd think you might've done it already by now. Uh, But uh, if you're uh, not able to to quit in other ways, definitely uh, use an e-cigarette. And if you're vaping, stop smoking. I wanna take you
2: back to the 95% less harmful uh, research that you were talking about earlier, because it really is a lifeline. It's a battle cry for vapors, at least in North America. So in 2015, Public Health England released an evidence report stating that e-cigarettes are 95% less harmful than smoking, than normal cigarettes. Now, this was indeed a seminal report. Describe for us the evidence in the report and what is the science behind the 95% less harmful determination?
7: What we actually said, I think, was that uh, e-cigarettes are Uh, far less harmful and that 95% less harmful is a good way of expressing that. You know, the 95% less harmful, the 5% of the harm, uh, that uh, subsequently appeared in the Royal College of Physicians' uh, report. Um, It first appeared in a report uh, published in 2014, uh, that was led by uh, Professor David Nutt. Uh, David had done this kind of study before where uh, it was a kind of uh, professional consensus process where you get a bunch of experts in the room. So we published in 2014, I guess we were doing the the workshop in 2013, and we looked at what data we had, for example, on uh, fires. We knew that uh, smoking was the largest cause of domestic fires. Uh, There was little evidence that e-cigarettes were causing any domestic fires uh, at all. Uh, We uh, looked at what evidence we had about um, cancer risk and toxicant exposure, uh, et cetera, and we had some data on that. And on the basis of the data we had, we looked at a range of products including um, smokeless tobacco, uh, different types of smokeless tobacco, um, e-cigarettes, nicotine replacement therapy, um, shisha, cigars, small cigars, uh cigarettes uh we looked at the harm to the individual and we looked at the harm uh, to society and we made an assessment on each of these criteria both how much harmful more harmful it was and uh how important that harm was uh and you know then the computer turns out uh, a figure and you see that uh, the index is uh cigarette smoke by far the most harmful like it's 100 points uh and then uh, small cigars and cigars, uh, and then uh, e-cigarettes, which come in about five percent of the risk, and then nicotine replacement therapy, uh, not hundred percent risk free, uh, because there's this small risk of, uh, you know, for people
2: with heart conditions. You've got the five percent of of potential harm. How conservative is that? Like, if you were to. Go through everything today. Would it be the same number?
7: Well, we published that uh, study five years ago, um, and uh, now we have five years more than five years more data. We have these excellent biomarker studies. Uh, we uh, know much more about um, what's in e-cigarette vapor and how that might affect bystanders. Uh, not at all is uh, the shorthand for that one, um, and so. Uh, You know, it would depend uh, on uh, the experts you got around the table. But I think uh, looking at the data that we've got, it would be less than 5%. It would be substantially less than
2: 5%. That's amazing. Substantially less than 5%. So, I mean, it's not just 95% safer. It's much better than that.
0: It's interesting because um, when did you do this interview?
2: That interview... Uh, interestingly enough, was done about a month before the first evalley case made was made public. So this was in 2019. Uh, we did the interview, I think in July, and I held it for several weeks because you know, don't want to release an interview of this this quality, you know, in the dog days of summer. And then bang, third week of August, Evalley hit. We released this interview in early September. Which was, you know, a nice antidote, not that it meant, you know, meant anything. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. And could you imagine if Health Canada was doing an interview like that? I mean, this is Public Health England.
0: Well, here's the thing. I've heard this before, and this was like back in 2016, 2017, was, you know, the rebels debating if this is 95% safer, whereas Public Health England is debating, is it 96, 97, 98, 99? Like... That's the crazy part. And I am so tired of saying we don't have the science. Whoa, we have science. And as he said, we have biomarkers. We can follow up on this. We've got seven years of research since that went out yet. You know what, it's from England. So let's belittle them and make them less important so we can ensure that we still have people smoking in North America.
2: Yeah, it's mind-boggling, no doubt. So um, in leading up into our next interview, we have our next guest live here waiting to go. Yes, we do. Fantastic. And let me preface this, is that this 95% safer, that's making a comparison between a vaping product and a tobacco product. And that's illegal to do that in Canada. If you're a part member of the industry, uh, you can't say it. You can't even type that in on your social media Uh, even if you happen to work in industry, as you know, so well, so there's, you know, there's a, a massive move that's always been in place in tobacco control that limits people's and organization's speech around the issue. It's, it's crazy that you can't make a a comparison between the two and when you, and in our interviews with Health Canada, they've made comparisons as well that were favorable to vaping. And I recall in one point, in one interview, saying, you know, the thing, what you're saying now would be illegal once, uh, you know, vaping becomes legal in Canada. Leave it at that because here's the deal. We've got Dash Vapes on. Dave from Dash Vapes. Dave, you there, buddy?
8: Hey, how's it going? Hello, everyone.
0: I'm so excited. I just adore yeah. Dave.
8: <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for having uh, thank you for having me on the show. We're uh, very excited to be here. Well, and key thing, you know, besides obviously you're like cool for school, not too cool for
2: school, but cool for school, <laughs> um, is this issue around censorship? Because you know, those right. of us that are, have been covering this issue with regard to vaping for some time are always banging our heads against the wall with YouTube and Facebook and so forth. But some unique and tragic things have happened to you guys do you want to do a quick lead into the sizzle reel here or should we just go straight into it
8: um sure why don't we uh, just go into it, and then i can kind of explain uh kind of the full timeline after that
2: okay super
8: all right so we're gonna go to a package here and uh, then
2: back with day live
8: When we first started uploading to YouTube, we had no idea it would make that kind of impact. I remember uploading the very first video for Dash Vapes, I think it was a review for a Kangertech Tech sub box, and feeling a rush of excitement. In the five years we've been creating content, I never looked at this as a job or work, it was just fun to do. Now obviously the entire process wasn't a smooth progression, we had to deal with changing regulations and guidelines both in the industry and on YouTube. But these hurdles never stopped us, however like all good things, it too had to come to an end. After 5 years of creating and uploading content onto this platform, we received news that the channel had been terminated, literally overnight. When I first found out that the Dash Vapes YouTube channel was fully terminated, i didn't really know how to process it. Tens of thousands of hours put into this channel, just gone within minutes. The question then popped up, should we start a new channel, will this one get reinstated? Everyone was anxiously waiting for YouTube's reply, to which they said, well, nothing. After waiting four months of hearing nothing from YouTube, it brings us to where we are today. Welcome to Dash TV, uh, essentially the revival of the Dash Vapes YouTube channel. Now, I just wanted to take a moment and thank everyone for their continued support. Um, We're very excited to be back on this platform. And of course, uh, happy World Vape Day. Uh, I'm extremely excited to be able to speak and chat to all of you lovely viewers out there. brick wall was uh it was a bit shocking to say the least <laughs> so what exactly happened
2: it can you i mean do is there any more details that you can share
8: um uh honestly like ever even we don't really know i mean okay so we know what happened is uh on youtube essentially when you get um three guideline strikes they terminate your channel um but what ended up happening was that all th- we got one strike our channel was disabled for a week so we couldn't uh post or do anything uh we got through the week and then everything was kind of fine and then overnight we got two more guideline strikes like back to back and that's what uh, essentially terminated terminated the channel and um
0: sorry, it was around the I same time
8: want... yeah go second. ahead sorry
0: um brent i'm monitoring our chat we have no audio for david on the youtube feed I'm so sorry, David.
2: This is... No, no worries. <laughs> uh, we should have audio it, for David.
0: It's fixed now. I'm getting check, comments. Check, one
2: two one, two, eight, check. <laughs> it's, it's on, so... Okay,
0: it's fixed now. I have just a Good. slew of comments, so wow. sorry.
8: <laughs> no worries. Well, it's
2: worries. Well, we are broadcasting on YouTube, and it was during that moment that David was explaining what YouTube, you know, dastardly did, right? So
8: oh,
0: yeah, so maybe they are... Yeah maybe they're listening that?
8: who knows so let me
2: <laughs> let me just uh, encapsulate this then um you need you know three strikes you're out is the whole way that youtube works and you had received one strike and then overnight like two knocked you out so it was a deliberate thing that happened after all yeah. of these years
8: yeah after all these years and um we it was around the same time that other channels were also kind of going through uh, similar steps um the only difference is that uh, the other channels eventually got reinstated and. Uh, dash our original channel just kind of went nowhere and the nail in the in the coffin i guess was we went to go inquire because like the at least what we wanted to do was get that five years worth of content back you know so we can download it and Mm -hmm. uh youtube replied saying that our channel does not exist anymore in their system so uh, oh my goodness
2: so the full (laughs) erasure yeah
8: now i mean obviously
2: the the infringement issue is that you're promoting a tobacco product, right? That's- yeah, that
8: would that would be the I guess the big issue there.
2: So, were you doing anything differently um, in those weeks with your content that was maybe more promotional in nature? Uh- uh-
8: Not to my knowledge, because like the the videos that they striked were videos from at least two to three years ago. Uh. I mean, one was from 2017, another one was from 2018. So maybe um, you know they just kind of went back and something flagged their system. Who knows? Um, But yeah, we're still here though, so that's we're still happy about that.
2: (laughs) Okay, so we'll talk talk to us about the 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 new what is it Dash TV? Is that what it is?
8: Dash TV, yeah. So essentially, um, we're gonna try to uh bring the channel back but take many more uh precautionary steps um for example dash tv we don't have vapes in the name uh because maybe that triggered their system who knows mm. um we're gonna try to uh just kind of we want to make this channel again the same as before very informational and all that but we're we're just gonna make sure everything's copacetic on on all fronts
2: now, I mean, let me just say, you know, because we've we've not gotten strikes in our coverage, but we've had problems um, right. with regard to our coverage, and in a, with certain kind of guests or certain kind of topics that we've covered w- around vaping. I mean, basically, I mean, you know, Google and YouTube hates our content, right? Um, right. But you know, so the issue is is that I mean, how mu- how are you dealing with the the fact that you have to self censor? I mean, you have to question always what you're writing and what you're doing because you know there are no clear guidelines
8: right yeah that was um i mean that's kind of what we initially thought too in the original channel because like a lot of the videos we did were very uh for example like our undercover sting sending you know finding vape shops versus convenience stores and gas stations we're IDing and all that um the 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 videos we did in the past were very uh definitely kind of doesn't go in line with what their guidelines are. Um, But I think what we're going to try to do now is just still come up with information that can be easily shared, but also try not to trip any of their, uh, any of their systems and anything like that. It's a weird, it's weird, but you know, it's, it's what we got. (laughs) Well, there's nothing to lose. Uh, Go ahead, Maria.
0: No, I, I, Some of the stuff that I love the most was when you were doing, I remember this one, the reaction video to that individual, the influencer from health Canada, who was sharing misinformation and sharing fear would react to it and then he would react to it and it was the back and forth. Those are things that are very common and in the makeup industry, um, when it comes to YouTube and the fitness industry and the lifestyle industry, yet here you are, because you have the word vape, because this is Canada, the United States, the worldwide, YouTube has decided to make this a bad product, you have to think twice before you do stuff like that. But any other industry would do it and probably not even no one at YouTube would blink. I don't yeah, think no
8: second no second look or anything. Yeah.
0: You think it, that's it, fair?
8: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, like again, like because I, I feel like um a lot of the a lot of these media outlets and and the government they they group you know vaping tobacco all this in just one single group and for lack of a better term they're not open to listening and i think that's what we're constantly trying to do is to kind of break down that barrier and and you know just try to just try to get them to actually listen to a couple words that we're saying um which i guess at the end of the day that's that's the main goal right just try to change the overall like perception and also kind of I mean after the whole of valley scandal that went down I feel like we're still to this day dealing with the damage control from all that and like yeah it's just it's just a big mess. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well what's uh what is your message then for everyone that's listening on World Vape Day? I mean is there some hope there?
8: I think so. I mean obviously like we the the community is strength in numbers and um I've noticed that especially on YouTube, they're definitely starting to uh, censor a lot of a lot of the even the bigger YouTubers. Um, but you know, just, ju- just strength strengthen numbers and I think the big thing again is just just convincing and not not convincing, but informing everyone that vaping when it was, the Avalley scandal back in 2019 2020 that has nothing to do with where we are and what we do right now and making that information clear I think that is at least in in our channel that's one of my main goals is because what happened the media they brought up a bunch of stuff about vaping everybody started getting hurt and then information came out saying that it wasn't because of vaping but they just kind of left it at that they just (laughs) left damage in the industry and then just left it and let them do their own thing
2: yeah for them they're like well we can't unring the bell and you know well you rang the bell Do this exactly too. <laughs> for so crap I so. think it's
0: incredible that you're trying to bring this information out there i think a lot of people are trying to do that how frustrating is it though that you have these walls that are covered in that you have to climb up that are covered in like vegetable glycerin so you're yeah. trying to come up this wall. I'm trying to use a vape analogy, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, I know, it's- <laughs> but you're you're doing this. You're creating this incredible content, but it's like that wall, and it's all full of eg. No one's giving you, no one's allowing it to leave the echo chamber.
8: Right. That was like I kind of had a, I don't know. I, I guess for lack of a term, a crisis. Like last year or the year before, it was just that. Like it felt like everything that we were releasing and producing it it only because of the censorship through youtube it was only hitting people that would already be watching it rather than you know the general public and it was it was kind of tough because you would get people trying to put out the actual information on vaping and the info the real information on a valley but then it would go to maybe 10 percent of youtube whereas uh, other companies like Truth and all these anti uh, anti vaping platforms, I guess it's because the money's behind it. I don't know, but they reach you know tens of millions of people, and uh, it's frustrating. But you know, it's never it's never stopped us. Um, well, there. I,
0: I, sorry, can I ask one last question if you sure. don't mind? Because I to get David's perspective as a content producer. Um, what do you think about the Marvel Comics? that were created oh, for the vaping movement what are your oh, thoughts man. On the producer on those
8: that the whole the whole marvel thing was i mean when i first when i first came across uh came across that comic i thought i actually thought it was satire because like i was like there's no way that this would happen but then lo and behold i went to the channel it's the official marvel youtube channel I mean, it has, like, obviously all that happened is that, you know, the FDA and the Real Cost, which is the other company, um, just gave them a bunch of money and uh, got them to produce this. But uh, it's, I, I I I feel like they could have went about it much better than that. Like, I don't know if Marvel would have been the best uh, the best use of that money.
9: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I
0: think Stan. was rolling in his grave because i had an opportunity in 2006 and this was not what stanley created marvel comics for so
8: absolutely not it was it was all like again i thought it was just a joke at first but no it's it's real it's there
2: Well, you know what, Dave? I mean, it's a crazy world, and thank you so much. I know that so many people, I, I as a content producer, value your content, and and am so happy that you're continuing to make it. And obviously, too, everybody at Dash that makes it
8: happen. So
2: we're going to have to jump off of this now. So thanks a lot, man, and happy uh, World Vape Day.
8: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. i very excited to be a part of this World Vape Day, and um, happy World Vape Day, everyone.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
8: Awesome. Take care. Take
2: care. So Maria, um, we just, uh, let's just do a very short lead. I'm going to, we're going to jump right into our next clip and we've got Phil Brasardo waiting uh, on the wings here for another live interview. So for those of you that we've, you know, grouped all like all of the YouTube uh, stars here all at once. So our next clip is a very good one. Again, you know, we're always teasing. So, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know, we do long form interviews on Rugwatch and just same with you, with Dr. Tyndall, you've got some long form interviews, which have been great, by the way, your interviews. This is a clip from uh, Cliff Douglas, who is the former uh, vice president of tobacco control at the American Cancer Society. He's with the University of Michigan Public Health. This guy's a rock star. And uh, this is a short eight minute clip. Two minutes of it is exclusive to our World Vape Day coverage. And for you to really get an understanding of what Cliff's uh, talking about here, you're gonna have to watch it on RegWatch. He has kind of stood up with inside the, the tobacco control community that you know he's a member of, right? That he's helped build and said, hey, look, it's time for us to rethink the way in which that um, we're approaching vaping. Um, he was a bit str- more stronger than that, but those are that's for him to communicate. I've left that part out. Uh, of this eight minutes, because it's it's an argument that can't get put into soundbite. So I highly encourage everybody to watch the full one hour on RegWatch. So go to regulatorwatch.com. Here's eight minutes of that, two minutes exclusive to World Vape Day.
10: Oh, well, thanks, Brent. I, I have in some ways a, an overly long resume in this area. I got started 33 years ago as the assistant director of the uh, Coalition on Smoking or Health, which at the time was the sort of the only game in town nationally in the United States representing the three large voluntary health organizations, the American Cancer Society, the American Lung Association and American Heart Association. Uh, I worked at that time, for example, on coordinating the national effort to uh, remove smoking from airplanes domestically and then eventually internationally. That's something people tend to be familiar with. But over the years, I, I spent time working in Congress as a special counsel. I'm an attorney by background on tobacco issues. I helped get started, for example, the uh, the investigation that was conducted by the US Department of Justice into the, the decades of uh, misconduct by the major cigarette companies in the US and around uh, the world that eventually led to a racketeering uh, conviction, a civil conviction in a federal court in 2006. Uh, I've served as the uh, consulting tobacco control policy advisor to the US Assistant Secretary for Health, who actually oversees the office of the Surgeon General. And then I played the same role for the US Surgeon General. Uh, And I also worked in uh, over many years as an attorney in litigation, including some of the major cases brought by the state attorneys general in the United States that led to the Master Settlement Agreement in 1998, and also served as an attorney representing or assisting behind the scenes several insiders from the cigarette companies uh, and working with them to uh, assist the Food and Drug Administration and the Department of Justice uh, and others in helping the public understand Uh, more about the the cigarette industry and the the harms caused by cigarette smoking. And so uh, I've been involved in in many aspects of this, uh, call it the wars for for many years and and most recently until last year had served for five years in the senior leadership at the American Cancer Society leading tobacco control uh, efforts, therefore for for the, you know, one of the oldest and largest uh, voluntary health organizations in the US.
2: Do you believe that vaping is as harmful or even more harmful than smoking because that certainly is the public belief today
10: of course not uh, of course not and burning combustion is the bottom line there products that are heated below a certain temperature will produce some chemicals some of them that appear in cigarette smoke but by and large in much lower quantities at much lower levels and the evidence to date suggest that they're much less hazardous, whatever the percentage is, much less hazardous. And for those smokers who have been unable or unwilling to quit smoking um, using conventional regulated medicines, or by other means, e-cigarettes, vaping products, have for a number of people provided an alternative. And it's not simple, and we can talk more about you know how that plays out but uh but this is because these products are clearly in general less hazardous
2: we're winding our way through uh to the issues around uh valley the so-called vaping related lung illness because i i that's had such a huge impact on things but it's by far not the only thing that you know before that happened there was the epidemic of teen use
10: i'll comment on on the terminology here that you've raised having to do with, uh, having deemed uh, youth vaping uh, the phenomenon as an epidemic. I know for a fact that language is chosen sometimes not based purely on its scientific merit, but it's chosen to make a point. It's chosen to send a message and influence behavior. And uh, I wasn't there in the deliberations at the Centers for Disease Control, or in the Surgeon General's office or at the the Food and Drug Administration when this was being hammered out. But I can tell you that among some colleagues uh, at the American Cancer Society and elsewhere, we didn't think it was the right word. Um, You wouldn't have heard that publicly, but we were concerned that it really didn't fit the definition of epidemic. But when you had the Surgeon General announce that this is an epidemic, and then that mantle was picked up by my friends in the campaign for tobacco-free kids at other leading organizations, and then on Capitol Hill in, in Washington. You, you just heard epidemic uh, everywhere. Now, I get it because I've specialized in messaging for many years in this field, and in, in the interest of promoting public health, you, you need to get people to pay attention and you want people to act on your guidance, your advice, your concerns. But there was some misrepresentation involved. And I think now it would behoove some of the leaders in this area, both in government and among the non-governmental organizations, to level with the American people and people elsewhere and say, you know, this really isn't at the level of epidemic, but we do have a serious concern about the number of kids who are being exposed to nicotine. But at the same time, we want folks to understand that there are, there are gradations here, there are nuances, that these products are not all the same. They are not all created equal. And that there actually is an opportunity here to also help millions of adults uh, you know, use products that may help save their lives. And, and that's, that's really, you know, the essence of what i think we need to be focusing on now is is leveling with people giving them the most accurate information possible and and pull back on the vitriol and the 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 easy misrepresentations that i i think come these shorthands that that people use to try to make the case
2: cliff it seems often that consumers are left completely out of this discussion and when i I think when consumers are mentioned is because they're no longer smokers they're actually vapors They've settled into some time vaping and they're a consumer now and and they're completely left out of the conversation.
10: You know, consumers seem to hardly be addressed at all. When you hear the discourse from my friends at uh, the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and others, it's chiefly about kids and vaping and look, you're just not hearing about the large community of too often disenfranchised and marginalized adults all around the country and beyond the United States, who have attempted to to essentially save their own lives by using alternative products, vaping products and others, but who just don't have a voice. They just don't seem to count. And I, I don't think it's because my friends and colleagues don't care, I know they do. But I don't think the narrative really fits what they're seeking to message these days. And so it gets left off to the side.
2: Is there anything else that you can think of with regards to kind of the global thing that's happening right now that might be a value to share?
10: I, I think that what we're talking about at a certain real level is the human rights issue. And there are millions of adults who have been, you know, dependent on cigarettes who have become ill, or are deathly afraid of becoming ill and dying long before their time, and leaving their their families, you know, without that mother, or father, or sister, or brother, and they they have a right to be heard. They have a right to be supported. And I think that uh, their sort of disenfranchisement in this debate out there, particularly in the U.S. around vaping and kids, is a really unfortunate, more than unfortunate a side effect, hopefully unintended, of the way this narrative has been playing out. Folks need to be heard, they need to be respected, and they need to be supported.
9: Uh, Brent, you
6: know, I, there's there's years ago, I would stand up on stage and I would give talks and I would say I would say, I can't believe I can't believe how hard I have to work um, at just providing a healthier lifestyle for myself. That was back then. Now. It's it, it's it's crazy how hard it was then. It's ridiculous how hard it is now, and God knows what it's going to be in the future if we continue down this path. And it's a path that we just can't continue down.
0: It's me again. I'm getting texts every. We're all muted. You can't hear. Brent, hit your button. And now it's fixed. It's like as if I jump into this and everything's fixed.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know what's uh, going on with the viewers because now because i've got every channel of audio has been on uh and i hmm. see all the levels um so i don't Jeez, I'm that's not... too
6: bad i just said some really important stuff too so sorry everybody uh you'll have to tune back <laughs> well i'm sure it's going out I'm i so really sorry for I the only thing like I, this... I heard i heard a little bit of slapback echo when 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 it went full screen on me full cam on me but it, we'll try it again if you'd like
2: no well the full cam on you that was just our internal monitoring that was giving you that little bit of an echo um but outside of that um yeah i mean we're we're going out so maria i mean
9: okay
2: okay. all right phil i'm pretty certain that you you your audio got out there and but you know maybe we could just get into that again for just a second more because we want to hang around this issue anyhow is that How has it impacted you all of the, you know, terrible misinformation, the vape mail uh, bans, the excise taxes, the flavor bans? It just seems like over and over and over again that the country that innovated and really did, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, bring vaping to the world is is now really a place where where it's going going dark.
6: Yeah. Well, what I was saying before was, you know, I used to give talks and speeches up on stage and and we would talk about like, I I can't believe how difficult it is for me to find a better lifestyle, lead a better lifestyle for myself and not smoke, how difficult and challenging it is. And that was back then. Now it's, 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 it's even worse. And what's it going to be in the future if we continue down this path Uh, and things like PMT, what if no PMTAs get through? What if, what if, um, uh, things start to get enforced? Right. I mean, what's going to happen? The, the, the thing that's really interesting, though, that you asked the question is, how has it affected me? And I'm going to say something very, very selfish here because it hasn't affected me a lot. Right. Because if you think about if you think about people who have been vaping for a long time, we're going to figure out how to do things and we're going to figure out how to get our products. And we're going to have friends of friends of friends who are, who are going to help us. Right. Um, but it, it's not about me. It's about people like my mom. When my mom walks into a vape shop and she goes, what do you mean I can't have my strawberry flavor? Because she has no idea. She has no idea. And what does she do? How does she fight that? How does she combat that? Does she go back to smoking now? You know, or or, or even like more important, what about the, the smokers who have never, haven't found vaping at all yet, right? Because all they see is negative, negative, negative. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, fear-mongering, fear-mongering, fear-mongering. It's horrible what's going on right now. Look, I understand we got to keep this out of the hands of the kids. I don't think there's anybody in this chat, anybody in the show, anybody who's watching who's going to say, uh, you know, disagree with that, right? But like Dimitri and I, we always talk about balance. So if we're going to balance things, then we have to keep it out of the hands of children and make it readily accessible to the adults. To the, adult pe- to the adult person who is vaping right now, and to the adult person who is smoking, who has tried all the approved cessation products and have not been able to get off the cigarettes. For those people, this product needs to be accessible.
2: You know, I would be, uh, and we're a little bit looser here on World Vape Day in our coverage, so, you know, this is a more casual conversation. So let me just say that I often just want to wring the necks of these kids, that are are causing us these problems and how come every time public health and uh the tobacco nannies are out on vaping they aren't also at the same time saying our kids have to stop they have to take some responsibility for what they're doing blah 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 every time a kid vapes or putting in jeopardy access to an adult who needs a vapor but they don't ever say that brand look at the word
6: you just used it's 2021. Responsibility is a bad, bad word. Right. You can't use that word. That's not the right word to you, Brent, you have to use the word blame.
9: Mm.
6: Blame is a much better word than responsibility in 2021. We have to blame how what our kids are doing on something. We can't take responsibility you know, for what our kids are doing. We have to blame it. So who are we going to blame? Well, we're going to blame the vaping, right? Mm. Because vaping somehow reached into this this child and it pulled them in and it forced them to vape a product so we have to blame right no such thing as responsibility anymore Brent uh, Brent, come on
2: yeah yeah Maria
0: oh my god guys you have to remember I own a shop so during lockdown I've had parents come to the door with their kid um with their kid and like I'm not going to sell to a parent with their child there. I'm, I'm here because my kid, you won't sell to my kid. Like it's my fault, I won't sell to their child. And so now you have to sell to me. And it's really interesting because there is zero accountability. I don't even think the word is responsibility. It's accountability. Be accountable for the actions that you are doing with your children. Coming up and rolling up to my vape shop thinking you're all cool. And I am going to, and you're going to be all cool in front of your kid, and you're going to show the mean vape shop lady that she's going to sell to you.
4: Sorry, not, I don't, I
2: don't I'm understand. Concerned. They're, they're getting mad at you for selling to kids, or they're wanting you, you know, to. They're
0: getting mad at me for not selling to their kids and making them leave the house to come and buy for their kid, and then are doubly mad that I won't sell to them for their kid.
2: Right. So that's oh, so ultimately, you. ultimately, you're saying then is that there are parents out there that would rather their child be using a vape. A nicotine vape as opposed to picking up a cigarette.
0: Or what I'm saying is there are parents out there that would rather not have to deal and talk to their children about nicotine addiction, talk to them about smoking, and just get them what they want. There's a big difference when a parent says, I don't want to go home and have my kid mad at me. No one's ever said, I don't want my kid vape as smoking. So there... We're talking about accountability. We need to have the real conversations with the kids. Be honest about the kids that, you know what? The three of us here, we're all Generation X. We are the people that vaping is for. It's for the boomers. It's not for the kids. So you know what? Every time you pick up that, that cigarette, you will be responsible for an adult tobacco-related death. And that right. is the truth.
6: Yeah. So basically we're paying the price, right? We're we're paying the price for the – and this is something that I really – and I see it more and more. I've 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 talked about this before. I've told stories about this before. I am tired of my rights, my freedoms, and my liberties being affected by people that are doing the wrong thing right and that happens more and more and we see that right now with vaping again the adult should not be penalized by the actions the illegal actions of of teens we we have uh t21 right Uh, again i've said this if we have t21 in place it is therefore illegal uh for anybody under the age of 21 to buy and use a vape product so let's be accountable let's 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 target, um, you know, the, the the repercussions to those who are doing the wrong thing instead of penalizing just people who are trying not to die of cancer anymore.
0: Right? Now, can I ask a question? How sure. many people charged for selling a vape product to a minor in the United States last year? Do they keep those statistics? Or is it like in Canada? Now, see,
6: this is where this is where Discount Dimitri is not going to help you out, right? This is where you have to talk to Dimitri when it comes to statistics, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, what What you just said, right, what you said about your shop, how, how parents get mad because you won't sell it to – the, the problem is you're a good player, right? If, if all the players were good players, uh, we maybe we would be in, in less of the situation that we're in right now. Um, but I think we can really fix the problem at the vape shop and just get get the vapes away from places that aren't uh, abiding by the rules. Maybe the maybe the C shops, the C stores, right? Get get it out of there. Get them into a place where it's strictly twenty one and over. Now, as far as the the shipping thing, that's something entirely different. But I think there's ways that we can fix that too. There's ways around that. Um, but but again, it's just it's getting so challenging. And the and the flavor, you know what? Another thing that you got, I haven't heard you guys talk about is disposables, too, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's another part of the problem. I think disposables are part of the problem. It's almost like that's like that product where, like, if I do a giveaway, if I give you a vape, what are the chances of you being successful if I gave you that vape? Mm, maybe good, maybe bad, but if you went out and I spent, you spent your money on a vape, now you Now you have something, you're vested in it. You're vested in it, right? So now that you put your money behind it, you wanna succeed all that much more. If I give you something, maybe a little bit less. Well, now if you go into a shop and you pay $5 for disposable, how vested are you in quitting? Maybe not so much, right? Not to mention that I'm not an environment guy, but this shit is bad for the environment. the, The plastic you're throwing away, the batteries that you're throwing away, the electronics you're throwing away, it's ridiculous, right? How this is not like, People aren't screaming about this, too, is ridiculous. But back in the day, the reason why people were so successful with quitting was because of the community Mm. and the excitement and the variety and the choice and the flavors and the hand-holding. Um and and not the like bad horrible story every day you, you look at mainstream media too right um, and, and we're, we're we're losing that and if it just goes to disposables and shit product in a C store you're never gonna have all those people you know quitting the way they were years ago with vaping yeah well, they- what we're
0: seeing is that we're getting those those the community the access the innovation all that get is getting regulated out of this product. So it's not that shops or organizations, I just know, like, I mean, I forget, ECC, um, CVE, those aren't, are not the, well, CVE is not even legal in Canada anymore. Vape Expos, where all that innovation, that community, all those things you talked about have been regulated out of it. So how How do we fight back? Like, how important is it? Like, you know, you're looking at a group of people who have spent the majority of their adult life marginalized as a smoker, found a solution. And as soon as they opened opened up their mouth to say, I've quit smoking. No, you haven't quit smoking. You're still smoking. You're using nicotine, blah, blah, blah. How do consumers speak up and out and feel proud? Because that was a big thing. We were proud in 2013.
9: Right?
6: Yeah. You know, Maria, uh, if I, I think if I answer that question, um, the show will get blocked on YouTube, right? <laughs> because I'm going to say a particular word uh, that will, will get us blocked. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's the action of others that we're seeing a lot these days. And apparently it's the only thing that gets anything done. It, it, it's the only thing that gets attention. Right. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, we've seen some, we've seen some laws, um, Uh, get bypassed. We've seen some success like with Dimitri in Tennessee. We've seen some success in Florida here with Nick Orlando uh, and the groups here. Um, But overall, it it hasn't been good. Overall, you play by the rules um, and you get nowhere. Overall, you write the letters and you do the calls to action and you do this and that. And the other thing, you do everything the right way and nothing, nothing. Right, because they don't care. They don't care. They don't care about you. You know, we're. I I truly believe that they look at us as like you know, just you're just a bunch of dirty smokers that need to go away and die. Right. I truly believe that is how they feel about us. Right. So what do you do? How do you combat that? When I've seen groups and organizations and money being spent to combat it, and it goes nowhere. Right. So I mean, like I'm at a point where. It's just kind of like Dimitri and I used to do uh, a back to basics seminar where we talked about kind of going back to the basics of, of, of vaping, getting people to quit again. But it's uh, now it's kind of like going back to basics where it's the early days of vaping, where the way we win is we go back to a grassroots and we sit down with people and we talk to them one on one. And we have the conversation about vaping and we dispel the myths. Uh, and all of the the negative publicity and all of the 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 anti uh, vaping and all, all the fear mongering and and we have that one on one conversation and we figure out a way to get a vape into that person's hands, right? I, I don't know another way.
2: Well, but I'm I think, sure
6: there's people that are more intelligent out there.
2: Than well, that. no, I mean I think at this point right now, right, what they've done is they've destroyed the virtues of vaping, and when the virtue has been destroyed, and they're not letting it come back. And so what really what what i hear from you is a description of like on one-on-one at a grassroots level um you know activists and and regular vapors need to help restore the virtue of vaping and yeah. to that end and as simple as that message is that's what needs to get done phil yeah, i want to think, think say absolutely. One, my friend.
6: Well, just one more thing real quick so like you said you had me on from an advocacy standpoint right Here's what I could tell you about me with advocacy and how I'm doing advocacy right now. I'm still here, (sighs) right? I'm a 52-year-old that walks three miles every day, that bikes 10 miles every day, that used to smoke in 2009, quit with vaping. Back then, I I am healthier now than I ever have been before. So I continue to do shows like this. I continue to do shows like the Smoker Show. I continue to do shows like the DP Show. I continue to do the reviews to show people that I'm still here, I'm still fine, everything's good. And if I could be that inspiration for somebody else to pick up a vape or to continue to vape and not go back to smoking, then that is how I'm doing advocacy today.
2: Well, that's excellent.
6: Well, Phil, thanks very much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. And happy, happy World Vape Day to everybody. Thank you so much.
2: Happy World Vape Day. Well, there you go. The great Phil Basardo.
0: That was good. Yeah, The passion, you got an Italian and a Greek together. I mean, I'm not Dimitri. But...
2: Well, that's excellent. Well, let's jump into our next clip. Just a, say a word or two for us here, uh, Maria, about uh, the Senate flavors clip that we have.
0: Um, you know what? We just thought we would do a little bit of a throwback to see where we were because there was a time in Canada. Like, with, what did they do on the Mike, with Mike Myers? let's go back. Let's do it. There was a time where our government kind of thought of vaping as a good thing. And so we have this clip that we had through Rights for Vapors, and it just puts together all the, the experts that talked at the Senate hearings about flavors. Guys, Canada was at that point. Someone in the comments talked about 2016 when Bill S-5, which is now the Tobacco Vaping Products Act, was out there we need to dig into that passion that we had there and hopefully this will just remind us of that
11: I think you've heard an emerging consensus that smokers should have access to vaporized nicotine products. I strongly support this position. Virtually all of the 5 million Canadians who smoke wish to stop. And vaporized products will help some of them to do so.
12: We recognize that e-cigarettes are less harmful than conventional cigarettes. And that e-cigarettes have both potential benefits and potential risks. The
13: real fight is against smoking,
12: not nicotine or vaping.
13: It would be much better if you quit all smoking and nicotine use forever. But if you can't do that, then it is a no-brainer to switch to a less hazardous product. And I don't think there can be any question that electronic cigarettes are less hazardous than smoking.
12: We've noticed that within the vaping community, most vapors start at, <clears throat> at a certain level, and they decrease their nicotine levels down to zero in most cases. In my my, my case, I went from 24 down to zero. If it was as, as as addictive as people would say, then I would not be able to do that. And the same condition applies for nicotine replacement therapy, like gums and and um, and patches <clears throat> that also have and contain nicotine. And with these smokers, we're giving them everything that is there on the market right now. But they want, you know, as you can imagine, when you have a cancer diagnosis. You know, quitting your your cigarettes is a very difficult thing. So we don't have anything to tell them. It's either quit or, you know, too bad. Um, And I think electronic devices do potentially provide an alternative, uh, you know, where people might have a better outcome.
13: So fruit flavors with adults are very important. And many smokers use flavors which we might consider to be children's flavors to make vaping acceptable to them. And that's why I think in many ways you have it right in that you are saying that you can't advertise a flavor as a child-friendly flavor. But I think taking flavors away from vaping will dramatically reduce the number of smokers who make the switch, and that will be bad for public health.
11: Flavor is very important, Um, but you can allow flavor without allowing all flavors.
13: And we had a session once on flavors and how important they were. There are a number of vapors in that group. And they said, take the flavors away, and it will be very difficult for me to continue vaping.
11: I wouldn't suggest a ban on flavors. I would simply suggest the ban on flavors that preferentially target kids. And I think there's a wide scope for having flavors, you know, mint and, 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 you know, fruit flavors and things like that, that we know many smokers use. In fact, those are some of the most flavors out there to begin with. So I wouldn't suggest banning those.
2: Well, there you go that is impactful
0: oh my god that was like <laughs> dave just walked in sorry guys we're live and my husband walked in to Ooh. bring me a coffee surprise um sorry about that um oh my god i'm just listening to david hammond i'm listening to rod cunningham on that piece And it just blew my mind away that they said those things, and now all they do is talk about how evil flavors are, how bad, we don't have proof, no one should switch to vaping, and Peter Selby saying, like, we need electronic cigarettes. It's just mind-blowing where we're at with that now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean... I don't, I mean, at one point they listened. I think that, you know, that was the Senate hearings, and these were presentations by strong people, one of them being John Britton from the Royal College of Physicians in the UK. I mean, we're talking about heavyweight people here that, you know, are talking about uh, vaping as a tool for harm reduction. Um, What bothers me so much is that this five, six year process that the government of Canada took to evaluate vaping. The regulator, Health Canada, evaluated vaping. Their scientists evaluated vaping. The current federal liberal government, well, it's not current because there has been an election, but the federal liberals under Justin Trudeau, they brought in the legislation that legalized vaping in Canada. So what changed? They're just reacting to a moral panic coming out of the U.S., and yet, in a way, in a way, they're almost saying, oops, we made a mistake. Is that really what Health Canada is saying? We're a first world regulator and we made a mistake?
0: No. What Health Canada is saying is that, oh my God, we're really afraid of all these organizations. We need to only listen to what Cancer Society is saying to us, what David Hammonds is saying to us, because we're worried about those votes. We're worried about the, the votes of the parents who are the loudest. That's what health can't, like, that's what the Liberal government is saying right now. This has nothing to do with anything other than their position in government. Like This has become, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but this has become a voting issue. It's become an election issue because you have parents of teenagers who are speaking up and out and their voices are louder than the rest of our voices and if our voices don't match or increase you know we knew a flavor ban a nicotine cap was down the road because if you looked at what the heart and stroke association did back in july of last year they did a letter writing campaign similar to the ones that we have been doing as vapors from as early as 2015 towards the ontario government they started that campaign and lo and behold they heard those they got those mass emails and all of a sudden a nicotine cap, a taxation, a flavor ban. And it's funny because I'm sure Rod Cunningham from the Cancer Society would love to have all that, what he just said, stricken from the record because he thinks vaping is evil. Mm. He, he's spoken up against it many times since then.
2: So you say that, you know, and I've been we've been covering this issue for now some years, you know, over five years. And we hear often that it is a voting issue. But however, uh, you know, where does the vote go? And this is one of the analysis that, you know, that I've got around this. And it's a, a bit tough here for a second, because if you've got, you know, the liberal kind of governments who have, you know, at least in Canada brought in the vaping, but now seem to be the ones that. Are advocating, you know, taking it away on that one political side happens to be, you know, center left to left seems to be a real problem, a real enemy for vaping. But if you look on the right, there's nothing better there for you either, because no, you know, the conservatives and right of center folks are not running around uh, to pick up, you know, vaping as as an issue. So you don't really have a place to put your vote. And then you add on top of that, while tobacco harm reduction is the right positioning have with when it comes to you know this whole issue is very problematic because those on the right think tobacco harm reduction when they hear harm reduction they're thinking of heroin they're thinking of all the hard drugs and needles and all of that stuff and and they can't support harm reduction so we go no 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 it's tobacco harm reduction they're not hearing that they just hear harm reduction and they're and they're hearing hard drugs and that's what most people in the public Here too, as well. And those in public health and those other people that might be more on the progressive left side, they don't think tobacco harm reduction is valid. They don't think it's a valid harm reduction. They certainly believe, you know, you know, heroin is, you know, there's valid harm reduction for that, but they think that tobacco harm reduction is, is spun up by the cigarette industry. So it's a real problem for people because where do you put your vote and what's the message that you take?
0: And I, I agree with you, and I think maybe I'm a little bit spoiled here in Ontario because in Ontario, with the uh election back in 2017, um, the community, the vaping community, got together and made it an election issue. We vape, we vote in Ontario, um, we. We went to every single one of Doug Ford's rallies. We went to all the rallies. We were ignored, we were treated like crap when it came to the liberal rallies, um, the NDP rallies. We got comments like, we get it, you vape, now leave me alone um, from the leaders and didn't value our votes. And as soon as Doug Ford was elected on his first day, and and I say this because it was a community, a group effort of activism in its purest form using our vote. And when Doug Ford was elected on his day one, he paused vaping regulations in Ontario. He said, I'm putting these on hold because we're going to go and talk about them. And lo and behold, they did. Like, I mean, I'm sure our Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, she was not very a happy camper in that meeting we had with all the people that were on the uh, vaping stakeholders. I feel like she begrudgingly went to that meeting, but she did. And they created the regulations that we have in Ontario. But that happened through activism from consumers, shop owners all together. And I think that's the beauty, beautiful thing of Ontario, maybe because I'm from Ontario. But in Ontario, we can learn a little bit from the activism that we did together. Everybody worked together to get that voice heard. So it was, it was really great.
2: Well, maybe you guys have to concentrate that on Ottawa now because Toronto's not really where the issue is.
0: No, absolutely. uh, Oshawa. (laughs) Ottawa is the issue. Um, I do think that, I mean, besides the fact that the Conservative government really can't stick to anything so, like, federally, but, you know, go O'Toole.
2: Uh, Okay, so enough. All right, so let's, uh, let's, uh, before we dig ourselves into a political hole here... Let's uh, move on to our next clip, and this is a very interesting one. We've teased it a little bit before. This is Mike Methrol from Divine Laboratories, who, of course, is the title supporter uh, for our World 8-Day coverage, and thanks again, Mike, for that. We've got a very interesting discussion around the issue of tobacco in terms of what's the definition of that? What is a tobacco flavor? And, I mean, it's a, it, it's a wicked little world that we live in where – All they do, this whole thing comes down to the definition of what a tobacco product is. And if we weren't defined as a tobacco product, then it'd be a completely different story. So let's uh, take a listen uh, to Mike Methroll and our conversation. And joining us today for World Vape Day is Mike Methroll, president and founder of Divine Laboratories, Canada's largest e-liquid manufacturer, and the title supporter of our coverage today. Mike, thanks for joining us and for all the help you've done here making this happen.
14: Thanks, Brent, um, and thanks for doing this. I mean, this is an amazing thing that um, I really look forward to, um, you know, seeing the turnout uh, today.
2: Well, we're excited to have you on um, because, obviously, you're uniquely positioned to give us some answers, hopefully, here. First of all, for our viewers, tell us, what is Divine Labs?
14: Uh, well, Brent, um, we're located in Lindsay, Ontario. Uh, we're, again, um, the largest contract packaging facility for e-liquids in bottles. Um, and we also manufacture closed pods systems. Uh, some other product lines include food flavoring, um, disinfection products, um, 40,000 square feet of custom built manufacturing uh, facilities with automation services and solutions. Um, we operate under ISO standards um, that are audited annually under ISO 9001 quality management. ISO 22716, a cosmetic good manufacturing process, and ISO 170225, uh, which is an uh, accredited lab facility for testing. Uh, our motto is we take your brand from creative beginnings to quality assured, uh, shelf ready completion.
2: So, and for those that don't understand what contract uh, packaging is, there are a lot of vape juices out there that might be getting made by you and packed by you.
14: Yeah, I think the latest uh, stat we received is we're probably, we probably manufacture products that are hitting about 95% of the specialty vape shops in Canada.
2: So let me ask you about flavors. I mean, flavor bands, that's what we're talking about so much today. And obviously all around Canada, because it does appear to be that flavor bands are coming our way. What's your thoughts on that and how fearful should vapors be?
14: We manufacture, I think right now we have over 170,000 SKUs we manufacture for our clients. Um, And what's important to realize about flavors is to do this properly, um, they're categorized as generally recognized as safe. They're artificial food flavors. They are food grade. Um, Nothing is derived from tobacco. So, again, back to we're under a, a tobacco vaping act, but we don't actually have a tobacco product.
2: What do you make of the way in which the federal and provincial governments are handling Vaping, you know, there's there's the vaping file in, term, in regulatory talk. I mean, how well are they doing?
14: Uh, in general, uh, I think they're being reactive. Um, if we actually pay attention or if they paid attention uh, to the science and how other countries have deployed this technology, they could do much better. Um, when they state federally 5% tobacco use by 2035 and vaping is proving to be one of the best paths forward, I think they should find balanced regulations that incent tobacco users to switch. Um, Flavor bans, nicotine caps and taxation are all reactive responses by regulators to prevent youth uptake. We all know they see an issue and and we all don't want youth to use these products. However, it didn't work for tobacco and alcohol. Um, I don't see why they think it's going to work for cannabis or vaping products. Education, enforcement and consequences is what we know as the largest effects on youth habits for prevention.
2: It's frustrating. I mean, everything comes down to the teen vaping and it's just adults are thrown under the bus.
14: And this product was made for adult smokers. Um, But again, we're marginalized because they see the youth using the product. And again, we don't want the youth using the product, but they have the same issues in other categories, i.e. tobacco, alcohol and cannabis.
2: So the teen air quotes epidemic, uh, the teen use and the so-called vaping related lung illness also an air quote, how much damage do these do uh, to vaping in Canada and even if you have a sense, overall, globally?
14: I understand how this all happened. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but I can understand how the narrative played out. Um, this was the most unresearched, horrible situation in North America in 2019. Black market THC cartridges tainted with vitamin E acetate, not made for inhalation through vaping, was determined as the cause. And nicotine products we're not the cause of this situation. I think that is slowly coming out, but the media sure made sure we were penalized, even though as the facts came out, we never got any um, media or attention saying, hey, you know what, it is the black market. Um, but this is a great example where if regulation or if fair regulation is not implemented, then black market products will enter the, will enter the market.
2: Now, I mean, Health Canada, in our mind, in estimation and reporting, did zero, it made no effort at all to clear up the confusion. If there was confusion around Valley, I mean, like as you said, the media pretty much had the one storyline. And then, of course, the Canadian researchers and all of the nonprofit health groups from cancer and heart and lung and everybody else, you know, sure made it clear to the media that uh, the two were linked. So, I mean, it, it feels deliberate.
14: You know, Health Canada still gets their marching orders from the politicians. Um, So can we actually say Health Canada did nothing about it, or were they not allowed to do anything about it?
2: Yeah, because some word from Health Canada early on in, you know, in the fall of 2019 may have done a lot to help ease the impact here.
14: They they definitely could have. I I still believe they regulated vaping for a reason. Um, We're here for a reason. This technology and product, they they see it as an opportunity. I just think we're still in the, we're too conservative almost, and we should be looking outside at other countries that are taking the opportunity to drive down smoking and smoking related illness over time um, from the use of vaping products.
2: So for them, it it totally feels like that they just give short shrift to tobacco harm reduction. In fact, I don't even think they acknowledge that tobacco harm reduction is a viable option it is just quit
14: again i i work closely with like health canada and i honestly believe there is an interest in this technology um i i, I the more i look at it, the more i think they may want to do certain things but they don't make the decision the politicians finally make that decision when they do um consultations that's. Um, They don't get to make the decision. and They even tell us that when we meet with them is, look, we're here for information gathering, we'll listen to you, but we have to roll it all up when we're done. Um, My biggest concern on where there's been a stall, um, which is very important, I believe. um, At the current state, we're not allowed to use relative risk statements. That's been on the table now for 18 months or longer. We still have not been able to been provided with relative risk statements. it's very difficult when retailers are not allowed to explain the difference in harm reduction vaping tobacco. Um, this again is where tobacco harm reduction in Health Canada. We really think there should be some movement. Um, Health Canada's own site does acknowledge that vaping is less harmful um, than tobacco and smoking. Um, but, so bear, but buried best,
2: under a lot of messaging for teens, that it's very yeah. it's dangerous, right?
14: And, and I'm going to kind of use like a bit of a David Swiener, uh term here, which is, you know, they basically allowed the vehicle on the road. Uh, yet we cannot advise the consumers or the customers on the significance benefits benefits of using the car. So here's a car, but it may get better gas mileage, has no pollution. We can't tell you that. But you got to buy it if you want to try it. So it's word of mouth, which is, is restricting the opportunity to get to that 5% by 2035. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, they could do much better um, and ensuring over 4.5 million smokers truly understand the difference between the two delivery devices and the associated harm and significantly less risks of vaping. So that's where I think we need some movement. If um, And we continually ask if there's been any update in the policy, but to date, nothing.
2: What can you tell us about the Canadian market? So how big is it in terms of revenue, retailers, number of vapors?
14: Uh, so the best estimates we have... Um, which are probably pretty close. Uh, We figure the Canadian market is somewhere in the $1 billion annual um, market size. That's in retail sales, um, not in wholesale or manufacturing. Um, Estimated growth rate is somewhere projected around 15% year over year to 2024. Um, There's approximately 1,000 specialty vape stores in Canada and approximately 15 to 20,000 convenience stores, um, all of points of access. we estimate around 750,000 to a million Canadian vapors um,
2: today. Let me ask you this. So, you know, we've seen countless studies and surveys and polls out that say that anywhere from 90 to 95% of youth prefer flavored e-cigarettes over unflavored. Is there really unflavored e-cigarettes like vaping products out there? Um,
14: so when you talk about unflavored, uh, not really. Uh The product is made up of vegetable glycerin, propylene glycol, um, flavoring if required, but if we're gonna talk about unflavored, let's take the flavor off the table, um, and nicotine. Uh, Vegetable glycerin will have a slight sweet smell to it. Um, Doesn't have a lot of taste, but a small sweet taste as well. Uh, But when you talk about the flavorless product, that would be the closest you're gonna get to it. Um, Is it popular to help people convert? we know flavors are critical to smokers looking to make a transition, and it's very subjective to what flavor they like that is best for their fit. So, is there an unflavored? There is um, constitutionally. I don't believe that if they just said no, oh, no flavoring allowed, you can only have unflavored vape. I don't. I think that'd be more of a constitutional challenge um, if, if that was to go that way.
2: Now, I mean, isn't it true certainly that vaping opponents, when they're referring to unflavored, E-cigarettes, vaping products, they're really referring to is tobacco flavors.
14: (laughs) Um, Okay. There's no such flavor as tobacco. It's not a food product. So what brand owners do and mixers do is they come up with their own recipe of what they feel a smoker will want. Um, Now, having said that, um, some of the most popular tobaccos on the market, Um, are very high in sweeteners, like an ephemolto. That's cotton candy, Um, but it's marketed as tobacco. Um, Others are like caramel with dark chocolate, Um, and they market it as as like an RY tobacco, Uh, but it's a food flavor again.
2: It's almost as if that the vaping opponents are saying that, look, we'll allow tobacco flavors to exist because they're yucky. And, and teens won't like yucky flavors. If we allow the mangoes and everything else that's currently legally on the market, and we're not talking about the stuff that used to be on that was infringing on, on certain things, but we're talking about the stuff that Health Canada has approved in terms of flavors that are legally on the market right now that are likely to get chopped with flavor bands. And so the concept is, is that unflavored e-cigarettes are tobacco-flavored, and so we'll allow these yucky flavors for adults, but we can't allow any good flavors out there because then the teens will ravage them.
14: Sounds like a fun lot right. Um, if you make a product that tastes like crap, we're going to allow you to make it. Um, boils down to enforcement. Um, it's subjective. So how do you train an enforcement officer? This is a tobacco. This is not a tobacco. They're trying to make laws by not understanding the technique is, is really what they need to understand. And to get it right, if they truly want to do it properly, um, in my own opinion, is they've already got things called category bans. We can't call it a custard. Um, It has to be an arbitrary name, no pictures of a custard or anything of that, and no description. Uh, But the consumer can come in and they can try it and say, hmm, this kind of tastes like custard. It's called ABC, um, but they can purchase it. So maybe they've got to look at it doing it a little bit differently and saying you can't have descriptors outside of these categories and let them continue. So this allows the adult smoker to still get the flavor profiles that's subjective to them um, and maybe allows for what some of the regulators want is not the descriptors on the bottle where the youth see it. Um, if that kind of makes sense, but I, I don't know how they're going to make a law that says it has to be tobacco if we don't use tobacco. Um, h- how do you define that? And and Yaki, sure, they can try that one, but I don't know how it's going to work.
2: <laughs> is there a future for vaping in Canada, or is it really in jeopardy?
14: We're gonna we're gonna be regulated. Like if, if, if I'll be the first to say, we're getting taxed. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, just over, don't overtax us. Regulatory around flavorings. I think there's a workaround that everyone can win in that one um, in the nicotine cap. So, yeah, I I think we're going to survive. But we are a product. The best, the only thing to put in your lungs, as any doctor would say, is oxygen. We are putting something in our lungs. There is relative, there is some risk to it. So, there is going to be some governance and regulations around us. But yes, I I do believe that we have an industry here that's going to survive.
2: Well, that's hopeful.
0: Yeah, I know. I love Mike. I think I just, I just love everybody in this industry. I just like, I just, I, I I don't know. I, maybe it's because we were all smokers and we found a solution and we all want to share it. It's just, I have such a great connection with so many people and like our next two interviews that I did. So I repackaged some interviews from between two vapes. And we have the president of the CVA, the Canadian Vaping Association, Sam Tam. And we have the president of VIDA, which I can never remember those acronyms, which is the Vaping.
2: I believe it's Vaping Industry Technology Association.
0: Vaping Industry Technology Association. Let's pretend that Brent didn't give me those cues. And um, Daniel David. So you know what, just a little bit about them so you guys can know, because these are the, the, the leaders of the industry organizations that are fighting, because there is a difference between industry and consumers. So I thought it'd be interesting to meet these two gentlemen. So I guess we can roll the tape and I already have an intro kind of done with that too, so. Hi, it's Maria Pabaiwanu-Dewick. We thought it would be a nice treat to share some content from Between Two Vapes here today on the Canadian feed for World Vape Day. In Canada, we have two industry organizations fighting for fair regulations, CVA and VITA. On Between Two Vapes, we had the pleasure of interviewing both presidents, Daniel David of VITA and Sam Tam of the CVA. I think it's important to get to know the people who are at the forefront of advocacy efforts, the people who are fighting for fair regulations in Canada. First, we have our interview with Daniel David. So, as they say in showbiz, roll it.
12: We're pretty passionate people. We want to help others that, uh, to to switch from smoking to vaping. We know what it did for us, uh, so let's let's you know start something up. Let's make this this harm reduction product as least harmful as we possibly can. And that was kind of the the foundation, the the, the initial core of what became ECTA. Uh, the Electronic Cigarette Trade Association, and and so we formed that really at the very end of 2011. We um, we you know we had we had uh, looked over to our partners over in the UK. They they've always been a couple years ahead of us uh, in in the North American market at least, and so they had some experience with that advocacy, and so we reached out to them. So they gave us kind of a structure. Uh, to work with, and uh, we built it. We 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 started with ECTA, and then we built a industry standard of excellence guide. And what that did was it aligned all the products directly to uh, consumer products. Um, and we were correct on that, by the way. Uh, but but we set that up, and and we set up standards for our members. I mean, it, you know, like with a brand new industry, and and especially one that starts in what we call a gray market, uh, where it doesn't fit into any category neatly. Um, there, there was a regulatory gap. So we, we jumped in there, we kind of filled that space uh, and we set standards. We set testing standards, e-liquid testing standards. We set um, uh, age restriction standards if you wanted to be a member of it right from early on. Uh, and then we actually launched the association after building all of these things and writing these standards we launched it um, and granted it took a little bit of time, but we launched it at the first, um, no, what was it called? It was uh, uh, VidCan. Vida was uh, established in September of uh, 2019 with the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, uh, it, opened, it opened up the industry. The industry was now legalized, you know, across, across multiple, um, uh, sec- not sectors, but, but multiple uh, distribution points. Right? So we've got vape shops, um, we've got manufacturers, we've got distributors, we've got C-stores. Now it's all legalized. Now you have outside funding that, that can come in and outside companies that, that can come in and, and get involved. And so you know, at that point in time, you know, there, there was no association that really encompassed all of them, right? that, that worked with you know, the big multinational corporations that, that you know, had affiliation to tobacco, you know, nobody worked with those guys. Uh, we didn't have many contacts, uh, if any, with with convenience stores and what they were doing. All we had had before, prior to that was really the, the the vape shop community, and so we set out to to bring the industry together as allies on common ground, based on common ground, uh, and and that common ground was that vaping is substantially less harmful than smoking. The, the fundamental reason why we, we created Vita was uh, to bring the industry together, to, you know, bring all of the resources together behind a, a harm reduction message.
0: Wow. Pretty powerful stuff. Equally as passionate and a man that spends all his time fighting for advocacy in Canada, we have our interview with Sam Tam, president of CVA. Now, let's check that out.
15: I got into advocacy, uh, I think this goes pretty much back to 2015 um, when we saw there was a need where uh, government was starting to regulate the industry. There wasn't uh, any association at that time or trade organization that was uh, representing the industry in terms of engaging with government. And uh, there was really a need where something um, needed to be formed so we can speak on behalf of retailers, manufacturers and distributors. So the CBS formed was in 2014. Um, I didn't join till 2015, of course. That was during a time when Quebec started to regulate the industry um, in a way where um, they didn't really consult with the industry. They decided to move forward with uh, a very aggressive uh, regulations that would regulate vaping as a tobacco product. And that's when we felt there was a need for us to uh, build this uh, very strong Uh, organization where we would go and uh, front face with government and to ensure that we will get uh, sensible and equitable regulations for the vape industry. It's really important for that because, you know, if we look at it today, um, vaping has become one of the number one uh, tools for uh, adult smokers to transition away from smoking cigarettes. And we've seen this globally. Um, You know, we've had the privilege to watch how uh, the vaping industry has quickly grown, but how millions and tens of millions of adults have converted around the world. So it's really important for us to uh, acknowledge that. Um, and uh, this is a, a harm reduction pathway for many adult smokers. And there's still 5 million smokers out there in Canada today um, that need to know this message, right, that there's a that, that there is a less harmful alternative for them. Tobacco, mint and menthol is not sufficient. Um, and I think, uh, you know, those are writing policy or creating these regulations need to put themselves in the shoes of a vapor and really understand um, you know how uh, categories of flavors are important right Uh, one of the key things is we we have naming conventions a lot of restrictions within the regulation that does not allow us to name these flavors or to categorize what they are Um, so it's really important that the government understands that right let's not forget about the adults we know we have to protect the kids Government needs to do more enforcement, right? They're not doing enough. If if stores are selling to minors or if anyone's selling to minors, they have to lay a heavy hand. There has to be heavy penalties, heavy fines on those that are deliberately selling to minors and kids. Um, and uh, and examples need to be set. But let's not penalize everyone else, right? That that is that would not be fair. The Canadian A.P. Association's been uh, meeting with government for. Quite some time now, it's been uh, it's been a number of years, at least uh, four or five years now, we have our quarterly scheduled meetings with the government, with health care to, to discuss about regulations, um, uh, anything to do with uh, enforcement and, and all aspects in terms of uh, what's coming in the pipeline. Because we do know there's a number of regulations that, that has been put forward in the past couple of years. Um, and you know, I have to say there's no other industry that has received more regulations than the vaping industry in a very short period of time.
2: So, and that is so true. I think it's also very important to bring up that. I mean, like, we've been regulated. I mean, the vaping industry was regulated. There was a whole process that lasted for years and years and years. The federal government brought in regulations. They passed them. Well, they passed the framework, of course, the law. And then Health Canada developed regulations and put them in place. So it feels strange. Like, you know, this ind- I can think of no other industry that ha- touches so many people and is so important That was brand new, and the government has come in and made such a mess of it.
0: I mean, you can't, I need you, sorry, you have to say governments,
2: Mm.
9: because
0: every single level of government has their hands in it, and right down to the municipal level Mm -hmm. um, in Canada. So it is absolutely insane. We're looking at uh, municipalities that are banning vape shops from opening. You can no longer open a vape shop. I think it's Maple Ridge, BC. So um, Sam mentioned there about, you know, getting in during the Quebec fight. I actually remember exactly where I was when I found out about the the regs dropping in Quebec. It was day one of, of the Canadian Vape Expo, their first one. It was in Montreal, the regs dropped. It was in November of 2015. And poor Quebec, they've gone through Heck and back but the way that province has stepped up and spoken out is absolutely incredible and christina um my heart again i'm just gonna say this i love everybody in this industry um we have her up next where we had a chance to talk to her because you know that is the purest form of activism and they are not giving up so
2: let's check it out roll it Christina, thanks for joining us today for World Vape Day.
0: Glad to be here. So, Christina, I am so excited that you're here for World Vape Day because I want everybody to know you the way I know you. So, first things first, why don't you get us started and let us know how you got into vaping and how you got into the role that you're doing right now. Well, the simple answer
16: is I got into vaping because I'm a former smoker. I smoked since the age of 13, I was a pack, pack and a half a day smoker. I come from a family of smokers, a long line of smokers and uh, a long line of smokers who had a very hard time quitting, including myself. But I managed to quit relatively easily with vaping and I haven't looked back since. So that's how I got into vaping. But the perhaps slightly longer answer is that I'm also somebody who's been a harm reduction advocate for many, many years, long before I even heard about vaping. And so it made perfect sense to me. So
0: you, in the course of the last year, started a movement in Quebec. You (laughs) threw a protest and what you shared with me, and I'm gonna share this with the whole world, is you taught some medical professionals a little bit about vaping. So let's start with starting the movement, why you did that and get into um, the protest, and then we'll kind of delve into the other things that you do just because you're you.
16: Well, first I'm just gonna clarify that it's not just me. Uh, The CDVQ is the group that I'm a spokesperson for. It's an acronym for Quebec Coalition uh, for Vapor's Rights. And uh, we're a small group of advocates uh, that have been working on this since uh, mid summer of last year. And uh, what we've been working on, basically, is uh, doing everything that we possibly can to prevent a ban on flavors and a reduction of the nicotine cap provincially here in Quebec, because that is what the government intends to do.
2: Christina, for, for our audience out there that don't know much about the history of Quebec and the battle to, save vaping, the, you, out of every other province, really got hit first in our country. Explain that.
16: Well, Quebec has been, you know, historically Quebec was quite progressive in terms of social policies, um, but that sadly is no longer the case for at least the past 20 years. It's become more and more uh, reactionary and, and moralistic, let's put it that way, in terms of uh, issues having to do with uh, social problems or public health problems, which are often masked as criminality issues or moral issues, right? Um, so this, the issue on vaping is just part of that trend. So what we're seeing is that instead of approaching it with a harm reductionist approach, instead of looking at the science, instead of embracing the fact that this tool could possibly be the most groundbreaking public health tool for the last 120 years, according to some public health uh, experts, they're seeing it as a problem. They see it as a continuation of addiction, of dependency. And without seeing, of course, that may very well be true, the dependency might stay there for many of the vapors, but the harm reduction is significant to say the least. In other words, it can save a a huge amount of lives. And so that kind of callousness to the the positive health outcomes that switching to a less harmful alternative source of nicotine, um, I think is emblematic of this kind of thinking where you know it's our way or the highway, it's quit or die.
0: So Christina, you see this happening and then you hear rumors, you hear rumors that there's going to be more regulations like I remember that the regulations hit and I think it's if I'm not wrong, November of 2015. So you guys were totally the first province to get hit with some crazy regulations, strict regulations. And now it seems that they're going to become more prohibitive. Is that sort of the the springboard? Is that the reaction? Is that the event that caused this movement that Created this movement. Yeah,
16: I think that basically we knew that this reality was, you know, a lot of people kind of just hope that um, the government will act, you know, uh, a little bit more dignified and intelligently, and they just hold their breath, uh, believing, you know, like as long as I, as long as we don't say anything, then we won't elicit this kind of response. But the truth is, there are a lot of very interested actors in in this whole debate and they've got you know they've got a mission um and we can see it happening not just for instance in nova scotia where the first flavor ban took place in canada you see it in the us too every time you see this stuff these, these are hints that uh this is becoming more and more uh the kind of trend within uh, tobacco control and within uh elect from within elected officials like positioning um, and given Quebec's track record, there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't follow the same uh, blueprint. Um, so that together with some information that was coming out from people within the tobacco control departments in, uh, provincially made it pretty clear that this was um,
0: absolutely going to happen. Tell us, how did you guys, wh- what was your blueprint? What blueprint did you guys use? go from okay so we're all meeting in a room what's our next step what did you guys do
16: well obviously the the main goal is always to amplify the voices of the people who are directly affected by this so in this case we're talking about the users the consumers of uh lower risk uh, nicotine products like vaping right um and because their voices have been completely absent and utterly ignored by government and by public health. Um, Basically, just to give a little bit of a background, the uh, Quebec government created a special task force to look into the issue of vaping and how to further regulate it in Quebec with a particular concern to the increase in youth vaping, right? Uh, But that that task force delivered a set of recommendations. And in that set of recommendations, at no point, at no point are smokers, adult smokers' concerns or health or well being ever raised as a counterpoint, as something at the very least to be taken into consideration. They are completely absent. And so for us, our actions had to at least make an attempt to bring those concerns to the forefront, to highlight the fact that these people exist and that they are going to be severely negatively impacted by this. And which is why we launched a uh, letter writing campaign to uh, the elected officials, the provincially elected officials.
0: And that letter campaign was a huge success. And there were some other things that you guys did.
16: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, having been part of many letter writing campaigns in my past, uh, uh, it's very rare that you get, uh, you know, thousands, if not like in our case, like several tens of thousands, right? We're at, I think, over 35,000 letters so far that have been sent to um, provincial m in Quebec. And that's an enormous success for a grassroots group. For, for a group like with, um, you know, absolutely no uh, previous experience or anything like that, just, and I think that's actually testament less to like our efficacy or skills as organizers and more a testament to the serious need out there and, and the importance that this issue has for the people who have uh, stopped smoking thanks to vaping and who want that choice to continue to be available to current smokers even if those current smokers are not themselves like very keen on it or have been woefully misinformed by public health and given a uh, fantastically inaccurate understanding of the relative risks of vaping compared to smoking.
2: Christina, with just a minute left here uh, for this segment, please, if there is uh, a lesson that the rest of the world could learn from Quebec, what would that be?
16: I'd say that you really, like, even when the stakes are, when it looks like there's there's no winning in the battle, even when it looks like the authorities have dug their heels in and they have no intention to um, to roll back or to change their position, You can't let that stop you. You know, there's an expression that says that a a rising tide raises all boats, right? Um, So anything that we do doesn't just affect us here locally. It's not just about Quebec. We're all in this together nationally, internationally, and beyond, right? So um, the fights that we do here have impacts everywhere. um, And you just can't uh, just, you know... um, just can't you have to keep your eyes on the prize is basically what i'm saying and just keep fighting
2: can't uh, take your eyes off the prize
0: amazing i love christina she's like fabulous like she is really really a true activist
2: the battle for quebec is is brutal uh you know and it's and it's everything about quebec is is quite different and so hopefully they're able to uh sway the provincial government there
0: yes and talking about swaying a government up next we have adam ward who you know what through his just talking to his mp sending one of those tobacco kills emails engaging with his mp asked him to sponsor a petition for um to ask the government not to consider a flavor ban when it when it talks about vaping and we have a petition i think we said we have five
2: thousand it's five thousand uh let's just see here it's five thousand five hundred and ninety nine five thousand five
0: hundred and ninety nine yeah we've got another month so in a month the petition is going to close we want to try and get as many canadian signatures this is a canadian only petition but that doesn't stop anybody else from doing a petition and working with uh with a government official, working with your representative on that. So all you need to do is find one person on your side and get them to speak for you on the floor of Congress, of the Senate. I don't know how the United States politics work, but you know, I know how Canada works. So if I'm saying something wrong, I apologize. But we've got Adam, listen to his story, listen to how, hear what he's done. And I'm gonna pop the petition link into the chat on YouTube and you guys share it out. And if you haven't signed it, sign it, please.
2: All right, let's jump into it. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brent. Well, we're at the end of our uh, World Vape Day coverage here and we wanted to end it on a real hard activism note about what those can do, people in Canada can do to help kind of support the effort. Maria, why don't you walk us through this?
0: Okay. Hi, Adam. It's so nice I'm... to see you face-to-face outside of um... Um, the regular Zoom meetings that we have. I'm sure. just so I'm inspired by you. And I know I've told you this so many times. I want you to tell people how sending an email and engaging with your MP has led to one of the biggest and growing uh, petitions for vaping that we have right now out there.
17: Absolutely. I mean, when when you're writing an email to an MP and it's about your livelihood and what you're passionate about, I feel like it's easier to write. It just kind of comes from the heart. So doing that and really, you know, really saying why I'm in this industry. This is my world. This is my everything. I want to help people. That passion comes out really easy when you believe and sending that email in created this response and created this relationship, as well as a a live response on his town hall. And that's what changed the game and led to everything that we're doing right now. It's extremely important.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I watched the YouTube video and I think like almost everybody watched the YouTube video. MP Tom Kimniak was like, well, I don't agree with a Flavor Man, which was like quotable, loved Mm -hmm. it. I got a stack of questions regarding
18: vaping and the support for harm reduction, and lots of people wrote me uh, individualized emails uh, about not having uh, restrictions on people who want to, you know, get off of smoking, so they use vaping, and basically asking me, you know, Adam, Tanya, a lot of others, will you oppose the potential regulations to vaping products? These restrictions will make it harder for adult vapers to quit smoking. I agree with you. Um, I think that we shouldn't make it more complicated um, for people to get access to vaping products. Uh, back when I think it was debated in the last parliament in S five, um, I you know thought that banning uh, flavors just because kids could get them is unfair to adults who use e-cigarettes to stop smoking. Again, these are products that you that were already going to be banned in the legislation that the kids wouldn't be able to get their access to it hands on anyways um, but these regulations come from s5 They will not come back to parliament to pass it one more time and um, you know in those same vaping products like i know a lot of smokers who have successfully quit smoking uh, thanks to uh, a vaping product and and i understand that the flavors make it easier obviously to get off of uh, Uh, of cigarettes as well Uh, as of august 14 2020 there were 20 cases of vaping associated lung illness in canada by the public health agency of canada it's a very low amount but again to all of you like uh, i absolutely support making sure that vaping is as available to adults as a form of harm reduction i've spoken to many people uh when s5 was being passed originally and it's definitely a good idea to keep allowing for it Uh, i didn't agree with s5 and the provisions within S5 that allow the federal government to simply ban flavored nicotine products uh, that go into your vapors just because it's a flavor that might, because the legislation at the time if I'm remembering it correctly, said might appeal to as opposed to does appeal to and you know requires some amount of evidence to be produced by Health Canada. Uh, that's a big problem that I have with that type of legislation, just poorly drafted and up for interpretation. That's why they're able to pass these types of regulations. When I wrote to him,
17: I, I wasn't writing as, as an angry person. I was writing as a passionate person, not somebody who's just a stakeholder in this industry, somebody who this industry worked for. You know as a heavy smoker so i really poured my heart into the letter and really let him know where i was coming from and i mean his response says it all and when he did the live response on youtube he mentioned that he had people in his life that this had worked for when he might have never mentioned that ever because he just didn't have a reason to bring it up but him bringing that up shows that there is people out there especially in parliament and members of parliament that do have people in their life that this is working for. And the more of them that speak out, the more of them will listen, right? So that's where I've seen him coming from, for sure.
2: Walk us through the, why don't you walk us through the petition, Adam, exactly where can people go, what can they do?
17: So the petition is online. Um, We'll have to provide the exact website. The link is a little long, but you can go on and you can read right from the top. I have to credit Maria for helping me every step of the way and showing me what needs to go where. And, you know, all our points were aligned. I think everybody's points in this industry are aligned. So you can read the points and you can go down. You can see the member of parliament who has sponsored us for this petition. And it's as simple as just clicking sign and verifying your email that you get and you're an active member or an active signer of the petition. It's very simple. It takes two seconds, but it will go a
0: long way, a long way absolutely i totally agree and i think the crazy part is because i helped you with it the the longest process was actually putting all the information online like your mp like responded quickly and we got everything done so quickly
17: they they had things you know we sent it in we asked him of course we sent him a formal letter that maria helped me with um we got the approval from him and it was just like It just all fell in a row. He would. He was. They were. His office was active in making this happen quick, like very quick.
0: And the lesson is: is if we do not reach out and if we do not communicate with our elected public servants, we're never going to know.
17: We we never will know. And I don't believe that any of them have any reason to speak out about this unless they're asked, because it's not. It's not in their paperwork. It's not on the board of what they have to do today. People are messaging in about schools, playgrounds, what's in their neighborhoods. People aren't messaging in about vaping and regulations and what the government is trying to do. But when you do, they will talk about
2: it. So Adam, we're taping this a couple of days, you know, before World Vape Day, but what can you say in terms of uh, the number of people that have signed the petition so far?
17: So so as of right now, we are sitting at 4,706 signatures. Um, with a deadline date of the end of June, so we have a lot of support and a lot more time to make this one of the biggest petitions ever sent into Parliament.
0: Also, Adam, I think people should know that you don't have to vape to sign the petition. You just have to be a Canadian who believes in harm reduction for tobacco yep. harm reduction
17: very true you can believe in harm reduction you can have somebody in your life that this has helped it, you don't have to be a vapor to sign this this is for everybody this is so our voices are heard and this is this proves that they have to hear our voices this isn't just we're sending an email hoping for a response which is still a great thing and we all need to do this is already we're already over the 500 signatures we have to we ha- have to be heard now.
0: So all we're doing is building up the army for Tom.
17: Absolutely, absolutely. The more signatures we have on there, the bigger the petition is, the more ammo Tom has to go into to go into the House of Commons with it,
0: yeah. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you is if there's any advice that you can give to a consumer out there, someone who vapes and, what role or what they can do to, you know what, let government know, especially Health Canada and our members of parliament know about vaping. What would you recommend to them?
17: Um, So there's, there's a few things I would recommend. Um, I would recommend first of all, inquiring at the vape shop that you go to your favorite vape shop, what they're doing for advocacy and following their steps, whether it's an email campaign, the petition to sign, but I would also recommend speaking to your friends and family. I would recommend, um, you know, sending it, they can send emails to their MP too. You do not, you don't have to be a stakeholder to send an email An MP is going to listen to a constituent that this is work for. That is just the average consumer. They want to hear from these people. These are the people that vote for them. So I think, you know, to break it down, following steps um, at your local vape shop of advocacy, sending an email in to your MP, signing the petition, talking to people around you, letting your voice be heard. People need to know this works.
0: I think what's really cool, Adam, is I did not know you until 2021. Is that That's right. right. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. So you reached out to me for yep. some things that we were doing, and then we just built this relationship. That can happen with anybody, right?
17: That's right. I mean, it was a simple message on Twitter. We've been in, we've both been in this industry for, you know, five, six plus years, if not longer. We've never spoke before. And a simple message, a simple reach out, hey, how are you? This is what it's led to. We now have, you know, a 4,000 plus signature petition for the House of Commons. We have advocacy. We're here doing this interview, you know, a lot of things can happen just by reaching out.
2: A lot of things can happen just by reaching out. Hey, Maria, before we uh, close up the show here, and wow, I can't believe that we're bringing it in on time. I just want to take a quick moment to, again, thank the folks over at Divine Laboratories, Mike Mathrol and his team there for the title supporting of our World Vape Day coverage and remind you to check out Divine Labs. If you have the need for such services, which so many manufacturers do uh, for e-liquid, Maria, thanks.
0: Oh, Brent, thank you for making my mofo no longer mofo. Oh no, fomo.
2: <laughs> I don't know you're, what you're talking about.
0: I know. I don't know where I'm going. I'm tired. Um, again, this. I, I had. I was so upset that we were not part of World Vape Day last year that it was in my head, and you know what, they always say jealousy is not a good thing, but let me tell you, jealousy motivates me to be bigger and better, and this could not have happened without you, Divine, and the people watching, and this entire industry, every single one of our guests, please sign the petition. Um, If you don't know what's going on, don't beat yourself up. It's very hard to get information out. We've learned this during the show. It's hard to get information out to consumers. Um, you're looking at Google searches being kind of not that great, YouTube getting censored, Facebook algorithms not supporting vaping. So if you don't know, there's I, I'm just gonna say, register for the Rights for Vapors email uh, at our site. We'll let you know, register for um, Brent's site Um, to get on his email list. Brent's really on top of sending out all that stuff. That's the best way that you can stay informed. Sign the petition, share the petition. And the other thing is I'm gonna challenge everybody watching is tell someone about vaping. Share your story with someone who doesn't vape. And get it out there and answer those questions. Don't get mad if they tell you it's worse than smoking. That get happy because they're engaging in conversation. And I love everybody. And I love Adam. He's so cute. I just want to rub his bald head. Uh, okay.
2: I think at that point, we're going to be closing the show. Maria, thank you so much for all your support and everything for our coverage. I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank all of the audience for tuning in. And don't forget to keep your eyes out for the next Regwatch segment. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Maria.